It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going team by team. I will be very careful about slinging stuff. Am I going to get sued? We got legal on this? I like football, like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL podcast. Steve Pelzolo, Sam Monson. We are live here on YouTube, 7 a.m. on a Monday morning, ready to review review a wild, wild week 15 in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Look, I feel like we talk it up. You know, there's a lot of surprises every single week, but this has to take the cake, right? This this weekend, this weekend was nuts. It was. Like, absurd, ridiculous, madness. You have Rich Eisen out there saying he's been doing this for years, many years, and he can't remember a weekend quite like this. Now, I would say last year's divisional round weekend was, you know. Just that was just as, really good as opposed to nuts. Okay, so it's more just this was, this this was craziness. Was yeah, it was craziness. Craziness everywhere. And we had 15 games, so let's, like, let's get into it. Let's get into the How'd you, uh, crazy How'd you go with your 15? picks? I got about three wins so far. Three. One to go. Out of 15. Yes. Okay. Uh, I'll stick to uh, my season's kind of in line with the Bucks season. You know, uh, previously good. I used to be good at this whole thing. And every time you think I'm going to get out of it, you go 3-12. and 12. Yeah. I mean, this was just a week for, you know, the, the people that were – people are picking well against the spread. Maybe we're gaining on you. Pff, slap them right I'm going to go – if I go zero picks next week. Maybe that'll yeah. sneak into some wins. All right, let's just get in. Nobody cares about my picks. <laughs> uh, we got to talk Thursday night football. San Francisco 49ers and Seattle Seahawks. This was ages ago. Yeah. But uh, the Niners win. They moved to 10-4. and four. Did they officially win the NFC West yep. with this game? Uh, they definitely made the playoffs, right? I don't know if that was clinching the division. Okay, quick pet peeve. I don't care about teams clinching the playoffs oh, in Week 15. They're all competing for the number one seed. Like, the number of times that I heard that the Bills made the playoffs on Saturday night. They did clinch when, the division. When their goal, Buffalo, is to have the number one seed, not to get in the playoffs. Like, it's – look, I know it's a story in Buffalo when they make the playoffs after all those years, but it's not a story anymore. Stop it. Okay. Let's talk about the – They did make win the division, though, as well. Congrats to the 49ers. Brock Purdy, uh, looking solid again. But, it, yeah, I think it was another, another game where the 49ers playmakers took over, even without De- Debo Samuel. Christian McCaffrey at one point had like 80% of their uh, touches, and the Niners' defense was good again, and it was just the Niners being good. Yeah, I mean, the playmakers and the defense in particular. The, the Geno Smith thing, like it's not 
turn him back into a pumpkin, but it's definitely cooled from when he was, you know, playing genuinely insane. Now, okay, it's it's always going to cool down a little bit when you're getting your ass kicked by the likes of Nick Bosa, etc. Um, but, you know, we've seen for a little while now that Gino hasn't quite been hitting the heights that he hit earlier in the season. And, you know, if the 49ers are just too good across the board if that's going to be the case. Yeah, Nick Bosa with a with a huge game. Niners defense, just fantastic. Bosa, um, did he have three sacks? I mean, Bosa, the, the debate with him and Micah Parsons and, you know, the, the entire defensive player of the year conversation, that was a good game. For Nick Bosa. They both helped themselves this week. Yes. Are you going to be uh, – can you uh, can you announce anything yet on that? I, sure. What the hell? You, you get to vote this year. I Yeah, I will be an all-pro voter this year and an awards voter, the, the you know MVP, <laughs> the award I love so much, uh, and the defensive player of the year, et cetera. You should probably stop trashing the MVP <laughs> award that you're voting for. They'll strip you right. Well, I can, like, I can bring some you know logic to the equation now. I can at least vote along the lines that it should be, not along the lines that people try and make it. And you're new, you're, you're here, you're, you get to vote in the, the first year we have a top five. Yeah, yeah, we, we do, you know, overhaul the system a little bit. There's going to be, instead of just voting for, you know, all pro and then having second team guys be given off the base of like the one lone lunatic that didn't vote for that guy, it's going to be uh, like preference. It's like a it's like a European election system, you know, like number one, number two, number three preferences. And then it's like it'll be done every that other MVP voting, too. Well, that, too. Yeah. So uh, congrats to you. I feel like it's not so much you. It's you represents the PFF NFL podcast Absolutely. vote. So it's I'd our be, vote. I'd be nowhere without this podcast. And right. So it's our vote. Um, and we'll, maybe we'll let the fans vote. Well, that's a good way to lose. It's a good way to yeah, lose your right. vote too. Immediately, one year done. We should do like a little survey thing that could be like ten percent of your uh, vote <laughs> or something. We'll, we'll bake it in. Um, so maybe you'll vote for Nick Bosa. You never know. Um, so I don't even remember what happened in this game other than Christian McCaffrey ran pretty well. Honestly, given the, the things we need to get to this game that's or it. this week, this game is relatively inconsequential. The 49ers won. They were the better team. They fairly well handled Seattle. Brock Purdy still looked good. Geno Smith didn't look as good. The 49ers won the division. It's done. It's wrapped. Now let's get on to insane games. Oh, you should be the host. This is great. Um, full disclosure here, which, again, a lot of people listen to the podcast by skipping around. Even Mina, I skip to the games I want to listen to, right? So maybe somebody's going to miss this. But full disclosure, we're going to talk about some games more than others. Yeah. Yeah. Like when we get to Denver and Arizona, it might be quick. Yeah. Right? And then if you're a fan of those teams, sorry, you probably want it to be quick. Sure. Right? Well, you want to spin it forward to the draft? We could do that at some point. But anyway, all right, let's get to Saturday. Minnesota beats the Colts 39-36. Just a pretty simple game right there. Yeah. 39-36. The biggest comeback in NFL history. Colts were up 33 to nothing at one point. Also, full disclosure, I wasn't watching this game live in the first half. Yeah. Yeah. You were doing what? I was at a Christmas event uh, in an elf costume. <laughs> in an elf costume. Huh? Yeah. There's, it did, you know, the, the kind of famous picture of Buddy the Elf in the classroom, you know, when he's 17 times larger than everybody else. You're sort of naturally like that. Yes. Yeah. May have replicated that as well. It works pretty well. On, it's uh, good. On Twitter. Uh-huh. But um, I was trying to, uh, so I was at a Christmas event. I'm all, you know, I'm getting updates from you, hearing uh, all the ridiculousness, uh, r- ridiculousness. Of course, I circled back and, you know, caught the game and all that stuff. But at the time... I'm just getting these updates from you about what is happening. How did the Colts get up 33 nothing, and then how did they blow it? It, I mean, 
it's just absurd, this game. It, it was genuinely the most ridiculous game that's ever happened in NFL history. Forget the largest comeback ever, blah, blah, blah. The first half could not have gone worse for the Minnesota Vikings. Like, absolute perfect storm of things going to hell. The Colts were up 33 to nothing with one um, offensive touchdown. Like, they weren't playing particularly well. The Vikings were just imploding. They, they got down in a hurry. Um, and then it was like, so you remember the two things that it reminded me of. I actually got Tyler to, like, clip this thing because I thought, oh, well, the story of this game is just the Vikings going from one disaster to the next and then completely disaster. And it reminded me of the immortal words of Shane Falco from The Replacements where they had this, you know, team meeting and a conversation about what was – uh, what, what terrified them? He was like quicksand. And they all thought he was talking about the actual literal quicksand. And then, um, fire it up, Tyler. Why not? We clipped it. We might as well, we might as well actually play it. You're playing. And you think everything is going fine. But then one thing goes wrong. And then another. And another. And you try to fight back. But the harder you fight, the deeper you sink. Till you can't move can't breathe because you're in over your head like quicksand so it was that and then the other thing it reminded me of was remember sideshow bob stepping on rakes just kadang kadang like they couldn't move without stepping on a rake um and it was like this is it's i kept thinking you know that idea that uh, momentum doesn't exist, or at least you can't measure it statistically, right? The, this idea of something that's already happened in a football game seems to have no provable bearing on what's about to happen. So theoretically, momentum just isn't a factor in football. And yet, you know, that uh, analytic staffers kind of questionnaire that is a Brian Burke from ESPN does this every year, where he emails it out to all the NFL analytics people, and they, they get, you know, these sort of Surveys. Seth Walder's been doing it recently. Maybe it's Seth Walder, yeah, yeah. sorry. Um, but one of the th- they asked them, does momentum exist? And a surprisingly large proportion of actual analytics people, the guys that have proven effectively that it doesn't, say yes. And they all say things like, look, I can't find a way to measure it, but there's something there. And it's like, this is a game that's very difficult to explain away if you're of the opinion that it doesn't exist. Because this game, like, one thing went wrong. Like, the quicksand thing. One thing went wrong, and then another and another and another just spiraled into hell in the space of a half. It's like, well, if momentum doesn't exist, what the hell happened to the Vikings in the first half? I mean, the, the argument against it is if momentum existed, how could, the, how could the Vikings, after everything went wrong in the first half, how could they ever even regain it? How yeah. could they? You get the halftime. Halftime cut Breaks it momentum. Halftime changed yeah. it. Because that's what happened in the Bengals-Bucks game, But too. this was like a game of momentum, right? The first half, one thing went wrong, and then quicksand happened. It spiraled to, to a disaster, and the Vikings were 33 nothing down before they get to the half. And they're just like, what? Shell-shocked. But I, to me, that's and just And then you like, get what? out of the half, you start the comeback, and all of a sudden, woof, momentum swings back in the opposite direction, and now the Colts can't do anything right on offense. Minnesota's just scoring a will, despite not even, you know, getting everything right. And it's just coming back and coming back and coming back. And pretty early on, you're like, this game isn't dead. 
I mean, when the Vikings were down 17 nothing, 20 to nothing, it's like, it's the Vikings. They'll come back. You know, there's some freak stuff in there. The, the, the Colts offense had, what, one offensive touchdown? Yeah. In that, in that 33 points, you have a pick six. So you have a blocked kick for a touchdown, blocked punt for a touchdown. You have a uh, failed fourth down conversion. They tried to... Um, they tried to sneak one, right? Then they tried to fake punt. Two failed fourth down conversions. Right. So two, because they're already in a hole, right? So all of a sudden you're like, oh man, we got to push. We got to try and dig out of this. And every time you try and dig, you make it worse. You just before we got on the air, you read a list of all the things that went wrong for the uh, Vikings. This wasn't even the things that went wrong. This was like or what the Colts did well. Yeah, not even. Yeah, just good stats from the Colts defense. So the Colts defense had seven sacks. Eight tackles for loss, 11 quarterback hits, 10 pass deflections, two interceptions, two defensive or special teams touchdowns, and forced the Vikings to go 0 for 3 on fourth down, and not only lost the game, but allowed 39 points. That's the, that's the thing that was nuts in this whole thing, right? So it's 33 that was a tweet nothing. from uh, a tweet, rather, from Luke Inman, by the way. So th- that was what was crazy about this game, right? Like, I think you're, you're thinking, well, the Vikings have done this before. Not at the level of 33 points, right. but... because nobody's done that before. It, just, just to touch on the momentum thing quickly. I think what happens, though, the way this is explained away is in football games, it's like if, if all, of that stu- all of the stuff that happened happened and it was just back and forth, the Colts did some stuff and the Vikings did some stuff, if all the same things happened but in different order, sure. it's not crazy. Right. And all that... And this is just like a, you know, regression to the mean when you go from 33 nothing to... Okay, now the Vikings get theirs. It just it all happened in a row. It, so that's what's that's what's tough about it. By the way, I love the symmetry of the Colts giving up 33 points in the fourth quarter of the Cowboys, which was the last game that we saw them, and then getting to a point differential of zero by going yeah. 33 nothing to get out. Like there was a point where that that like that symmetry also is just ridiculous. Like how does that happen? Also in this game, by the way, the officials screwed Minnesota out of two fumble recovery touchdowns right like okay the first one might have actually been legit but the second one they actually got hosed because that was a a forced fumble the guy scooped and scored and they claimed he was down right like they took it off the so they they took it off the board and then on review you can only give them the fumble back you can't give them the the score the recovery touchdown and score because you blew it early so like they got minnesota actually got absolutely got screwed out of like at one point they're executing the largest comeback in NFL history. Like, are they going to get it done or not? Like, they should be up seven. Because they, yeah. they got a touchdown taken off the board. I, I don't understand. This was like never-ending possessions, too. Because the entire time in the fourth quarter, I feel like you're you're expecting the Vikings to kind of make a move here at some point. It's like, all right, they're going to – they could do it, right? And you're thinking about how can they how can they pull this off? But even in the fourth quarter, they still had – a Kirk Cousins interception, again, Jalen Rager's fault on two of them, mm. on both. They had a Kirk Cousins interception in one of those failed fourth downs. How did they have enough time to do that? And by that time, it's 36 to 14 going into the fourth quarter. They still scored three touchdowns, got the two point conversion to tie it up and get to 36. And they had time to win it, too. Like, how did, where did these possessions come from? Yeah, like the Vikings needed whatever it was, five touchdowns, and they scored them with an average drive time of like two minutes and seven seconds or something. The, the, like the, the efficiency, not even efficiency, because it's not like they did it particularly smoothly. It was, you know, herky-jerky. It's like a guy trying to drive stick that's never done it before, you know, with a clutch. And she's like, that was the Vikings offense the whole way. Uh, but it didn't take a lot of time, so they were able to get it done. Um, Roger Sherman of The Ringer, 
had a good tweet. He's uh, got a couple of good ones this weekend. Which was Jeff Saturday has been a coach for a month and already has two record-setting losses. The biggest blown lead ever, this one, 33 points against Minnesota, and the worst fourth-quarter scoring margin ever, 33 points against Dallas. So the Colts essentially asked, what's the worst that could happen if we hired a random guy as a coach and found out in a hurry? What is Jim Irsay thinking? Like, hey, good for the draft pick? Or like, wow. I mean, there's, there's a pretty good chance that Jim Irsay just hit the booze at halftime and never even saw Dude, it. Um, don't go there. NFL history, by the way, teams leading by a 30 or more points differential were 1,548, one and one since 1930. Somebody also mentioned that they fired Frank Reich and knocked him out of the record books. All in the same season. Yeah, that's true. He had the 32-point comeback yeah, against yeah. the Houston Oilers in the playoffs. That was the AFC Championship, right? Yes. Was it 35-3 at one point? It was, yeah, 32-point comeback. 32-point comeback. This was a 33-point mm-hmm. comeback. Um, the, the play that tied it up, Dalvin Cook weaving through the defense for 64 yards. I mean, again, as that play is unfolding, it's just like the Vikings are going to do this, huh? They're going to do this. And then it's the Vikings have a history of uh, – Maybe disappointing their fans a little bit. So yeah. I, I assume that the average Vikings fan is like, it's 36-34. This is a good story. But we still need that two-point conversion. It would be very Vikings to not get the two-point conversion after all of that, after all that emotional investment. This is a new Vikings team here, Sam. This is Kirk Cousins-led Vikings. They make the most ridiculous comebacks in NFL history, and they get the two-point conversion. It's 36 to 36. That was a 13-second drive, by the way for the game-tying touchdown and two-point conversion. And they still had time. There was still two minutes left on the yes. clock. They still had time to – they still got the ball back for a fourth-quarter right. comeback attempt. Like the Colts start off a drive with Minnesota having tied it up. With two minutes and 15 seconds left, um, they're – like they, they go first and 10. They get sacked immediately. So now you're second and 18. You're like, All right, they're probably just trying to chew the clock. They, they get a big play and almost – convert the third down like they they get a pass to Michael Pittman and as soon as he caught the ball I'm like oh they've he's getting it he's converting this and then Duke Shelley comes up and hits him Duke Shelley had a couple of big plays in this game again he's had a few throughout the season like really high leverage plays again the Minnesota Vikings defense generally has been garbage but Duke Shelley has timed up a few really important plays for them this season which is how they have such an absurd record on one possession or one score games um, hits him dead and stops him a yard short. And then it's fourth and one. They get a false start. Um, and then they have to punt it away. So Minnesota gets the ball back with a minute left. You're like, maybe they can steal it in regulation. And then eventually, you know, it ends up going to overtime. Goes to overtime. Both teams have possessions. I mean, we can't cover all of the plays here and all of the various things. But, but they won it with seven seconds left on the clock in overtime. Just out of control. Minnesota was was electric. They moved to eleven and three. Um, at this point in the season, a lot of my questions today in week fifteen is like, what does this mean? Yeah, you know what I mean. What does this mean? I mean, what does that game mean at all? Ever? It's nuts. So it was it was awesome to see. It's NFL history, and but not but but like, what do you do with this? The Vikings moved to eleven and three. They're closer and closer to that number two seed in the NFL. Uh, in the NFC, we keep talking about their point differential and they're the worst 11-3 and team we've ever seen and all this stuff. But at some point, it's like they're doing something, right? They're doing something with these comebacks where it, 
is, is can they carry this into the playoffs? Are they going to have a game against the Eagles where they make this ridiculous fourth quarter comeback or against the Cowboys or someone? I mean, in the playoffs, I I don't know I don't know what you can take out of this game. It was nuts. Like the story of this game is just to retell the story of the game and be like, what the hell happened? But from both sides, yeah. But it does show you that you know. Whatever Minnesota is this season, which I think the first half probably shows is dramatically worse than their overall record, it means that when you get to the playoffs, anything is possible. Anything is on the table for this team because they can be buried and still go on a run of putting up a ton of points and making crazy things happen and make a weird game out of it. So the fact that their defense is garbage and they're very inconsistent and they're overachieving and all these things are probably true – but it doesn't mean that on a one-off game against a better team, they can't do something crazy because it's like we just saw it. I, I don't, but the, the, I think the point of this is when you're down 33 to nothing, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're a bad team. I mean, this is the fine line of football, right? There are blowouts in the NFL where if you just take away two or three plays, right? Just for perspective purposes, they count, right? But you take away two or three plays and it's not, it's not close to what perception was. Yeah, this, I mean... The this first was half, weird stuff. Yes. That doesn't always happen. The These are outlier half, plays. The first half was not about how bad Minnesota is. It was about how quickly a game of NFL football can spiral completely out of your control through, you know, the quicksand or the sideshow bobs, kadang, you know, like that stuff. Like it, it, it went so fast from, well, they scored first to what the hell just happened to us. Not because Minnesota sucks, but because three or four plays bouncing in a weird direction immediately puts the other team several scores in the lead. You know, like a blown, those high leverage plays on fourth down, if you screw up those things, the interception because the guy ran to the wrong place, the fumble, like all those things. If they just sequentially go against you, you're immediately in a giant hole and it looks like the game is dead and buried. Um, That was the point I wanted to make was the fourth down plays, right? We're in, we're in a, a year where the, the games are closer than ever. It seems like they're crazier than ever and all this stuff. The fourth down decision maker, the, 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 the willingness to go forward on fourth down, we always talk about it through the lens of win probability added, right? Go forward on fourth down because it's going to increase your chances of winning. The, tar- the part that we don't talk about as much is the failed fourth down decreases your chances of winning more than a punt, mm-hmm. right? So... It might be on the surface a better decision to go for it, but when it fails, it is worse than for you than the punt, right? Sure. And to me, that's what creates a ton of variance as well, right? There was a game last year where the Chargers kept going for it on fourth, and they failed, and they got blown out by the Ravens. And it, the game wasn't as bad as it seemed, but when you keep handing the ball over in your own territory, I mean, that yeah. was the Vikings in this, right? A failed fourth down in a they were both in the same punt. spot. They were yes. both from the Minnesota thirty-one yard line. So it's like you know, okay. Not only is going for a fourth down a big high leverage play, but if you're doing it in your own 31, if you screw them up, you're setting the opposition up in a really good spot. And yeah. again, the Colts had a drive that was four plays for zero yards that led to a field goal. Right. Again, the other point about this is it's through, on the one hand, go for it, yes or no. On the other hand, what is your play call to go for it on fourth or fourth down? I, I can't, I, I'm going to keep coming back to this every week, but like, the NFL, largely the Eagles, but it's not like other teams aren't doing it. The NFL has discovered a cheat code 
for fourth and third and short. And yet the Vikings are running half-bank dives up the middle on fourth down. Like, what are you doing? The league has shown you the way of securing an almost guaranteed fourth down conversion. And you are running like I formation up the middle from the 1980s. Like, that's just a bad, it's a bad play call in today's NFL. You can't, you, you, if they're stacking up the A-gaps to try and stop the sneak, you're not going to have a more successful chance of getting it by giving it to the running back with a five-yard, like, head of steam to try and get it. So that's a bad play call, and it, it was punished. And then the fake punt. Like, like, and it was one of those fake punts where it didn't look like they were reacting to a specific look, you know, where a team has shown them something, it's wide the hell open, you take the free yards because it's there. It's like, no, we decided to fake because we're in a hole and we need to get something out of here. So we're just going to let the punter attempt to pass. It's like, I mean, you know. So going for it on fourth down is one thing, but then what are the play calls you're dialing up to go for it on those fourth downs? That's the other element. Uh, as part of the comeback, Kirk Cousins made a ton of big throws. Uh, Kurt, uh, K.J. Osborne running through the defense, had a 63-yarder, also had a touchdown. Justin Jefferson had an awesome battle with Stephon Gilmore. Unbelievable yeah. route on his touchdown. We mentioned Dalvin Cook weaving through the defense. The the team building stuff that we talk about all the time, it feels like just throw it out the window because how do you even predict any of this stuff? I, you know, I can't predict it. But there was a point where the Vikings have some pretty good playmakers. Osborne's shown flashes over the last couple of years. Their playmakers just kind of took over, made some big plays, and got them back into it. Just want to give them proper credit, too. We could talk about this game for hours. Did we cover it enough? It's also, I mean, people are, here? people are complaining about Kirk Cousins' grade. Like, Cousins didn't do that much in this game to, like, he didn't start driving this comeback with a bunch of big-time throws and, high, you know, amazing play and stuff. Like, you know, Dalvin Cook has, like, 100 yards, essentially all of which came after contact, or not after contact, after the catch. Um, Justin Jefferson's route for his touchdown, like, he smoked Gilmore. Okay, Cousins put it where it should be, but it was, you know, that's not a high – and a really impressive pass as much as an incredible route that got him wide the hell open. Um, I, I think it's fair to say that the interceptions were more Rager than they were Cousins. Um, but I just, this was a lot high volume average play effectively. Yeah. I mean, credit I mean, him for the comeback and, you know, the quarterback has their hand in all that stuff. It doesn't always show up in the grading. And remember, just as as well as well as the Vikings played in the first half, in the second half, there was a it was a bad first half hmm. across the board. All right, so uh, Vikings move to eleven and three. Colts fall to four, nine, and one. NFL history is set. The PFF NFL podcast is sponsored by the Western and Southern Financial Group. While you focus on your roster moves, Western and Southern helps advance your money moves. Buying your first home, planning to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow? Well, Western and Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com slash PFF. So go check that out, westernsouthern.com slash PFF. And shout out to Western and Southern, Western and Southern studio here in Cincinnati. Mm -hmm. Second uh, Saturday game. We're not giving this one as much love. 13 to 3. Browns win. They move to 6 and 8. Ravens fall to 9 and 5. Um, the fourth down variant stuff that we had talked about, you saw a little bit of that, right? Like the Ravens scored 3 points and the passing game was not good from their perspective, but they were moving the ball on the ground. And then they get stuffed on fourth and 1 in the red zone. Tyler Huntley throws a red zone interception 
and it feels like, wow, the Ravens just can't, they can't score. But they were moving the ball, and that's where some of like that fourth down variance, you get a Justin Tucker missed field goal in there, and it's like, all that variance adds up, you score three points. Well, this game also undid your uh, master plan of the constant football. You know, the weekend where there's just a game, followed by a game, followed yeah. by a game, followed by a game until you're dead. Um, so this was supposed to be the three straight games on Saturday, the Vikings game, then the Browns game, then the, the Bills. No, this is how you do it. This is so, good. So, like, one of the most important plays in this game happened while everybody else was stuck watching the Vikings in overtime execute this comeback. The Cleveland Browns got a key fourth down stop on a Ravens drive that nobody saw because we're still watching the other game that's well, going to the death well, at overtime. Well, the NFL's fault for only allowing NFL Network to, uh, to play the games. Yeah, so unless you were, like, in Cleveland – or Baltimore. Yeah. You didn't see that unless you went back and watched it. Well, you need to they, they need to figure out how they're going to do this. Yeah. But this was perfect, right? If you're going to do Island Game Weekend, which is, you know, one game nonstop. Mm-hmm. Um, first off, don't have prior engagements where you're Buddy the Elf. True. Secondly, you, this is what you want, right? You want the high of that first game. And then you want to come back down a little bit. It's like right? Thanksgiving. You need one of the games has to yeah. suck. Otherwise, it's too much. Yes. This middle game being a nice 13 to 3 affair yeah. in the middle of it. And then crescendoing up into the snow game that, that wasn't until the fourth quarter in Buffalo and Miami. That's perfect. Perfect setup. Mm. Um, again, I don't think there's much here. I mean, the, the Ravens, if you told me the Ravens were going to run for seven yards per carry, I'd say, all right. You know, I mean, it was probably part of my analysis that I got wrong mm. was that the Ravens were going to run all over the Browns and were going to cover and they were going to be fine. Um, Tyler, the, 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 my big takeaway, though, is that the Ravens certainly miss Lamar Jackson. Yeah. Right? It, unlike last year where there wasn't a big drop off between Lamar and Tyler Huntley when he came in and then even Josh Johnson when he came in. Um, there's been a big one this year. Like Tyler Huntley hasn't played as well as he did last year. The, it's just it's different when Tyler Huntley has been the quarterback this season. Um, Miles Garrett started to really cook in the fourth quarter when the Ravens started to kind of need it um, in the game. Garrett came up big and a couple of like key plays late on. And honestly, that was kind of the difference. Like they got the fourth down stop early in the game. Miles Garrett started to hum as the game went on. And it was such a low scoring game. That was kind of it. It was six to three at the half. Cleveland, Justin Tucker missed a field goal. The Browns put the Justin Tucker missed two field goals in a two game. Two field goals, sorry, in a game. It's crazy for the first time in like yeah. five years. Everything, everything falling apart for Baltimore here. Denzel Ward had his best game of the year. Um, the only touchdown, Deshaun Watson hits uh, Donovan People Jones three yard touchdown that made it thirteen to three, and um, that was in the third quarter, and that was it. You know, Ravens didn't have the pa- like I said, the pass game just was not there with uh with Tyler Huntley and but the you know Gus Edwards big power back J.K. Dobbins adding some quicks and some speed was good all that was good but the Ravens could not put points on the board and I think when you don't have Lamar as the cheat code not only do you is it harder on fourth and one um not that they wouldn't have run a fullback dive or something with Lamar you just always have to account for Lamar more than you have to account for Tyler Huntley and they're pretty successful with Lamar Jackson on fourth and short. And even just having him in for that is a, is a game changer for the Ravens. So big takeaways here. Um, still probably too little too late for the Browns moving to six and eight. But their defense is looking better. You know, they've got elements of, of improvement during the second half on that side of the ball. Watson's looking a little bit better. And the Ravens really miss Lamar. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Ravens are going to fall out of uh, first place yeah. this weekend. They dropped the from like – 
They yeah, they dropped quite a bit, right? They were probably what the third seed. I think at one point no, because Miami lost. But at one point, like if Miami had won, they would have dropped all the way to six or something crazy. Yeah, I mean, um, three three games left. How many? When's Lamar going to come back? He's day to day to week to week to season to season here. Okay. So we don't know. Solid. But they need him back sooner rather than later. All right, that's it on that game. Yep. Buffalo 32, Miami 29. Supposed to be the snowball. Didn't snow till the fourth quarter. Cheated. Would have been Again. so much better. Would have been. The snow came down. There's like piles fast. of snow sitting in the, sa- in the stands. You know, they, they clean the stadium or the turf, the field, really quickly. But who's got time to clear the, the actual the bleachers, you know? So there's just piles of snow in the stands that people are then hurling onto the field to the point where they had to pause the game at one stage and be like, guys, stop throwing all the snowballs at the Miami players. Uh, and and, then, the, uh, and the, uh, the video people, the, the cameramen. Yeah, one of them took a belter right in the spine. Yeah. yeah it feels He's got a, a bit big harsh. puffy jacket, which probably protected him. Yeah, that'll insulate a bit. Poor old Steve Smith freezing his ass off on the sideline. His little, you know, the desk they have set up there. Yeah, it looks cold. Didn't, didn't look fun. Looks cold over there. Josh Allen at the end of the game, they park him, you know, for the post-game interview. Like somebody get the guy the like the big over-the-shoulder parka thing. He's just sitting there. He's fine. Shivering, like he's sitting there visibly he wasn't that shivering. Cold, was he? He, yeah. I mean, he's you know Josh Allen. He's giant and he's a Buffalo superstar, so he's not going to say anything. But like he was, I'm pretty sure, visibly shivering at the end of that. And it's like these guys, you know, Steve Smith out here dressed for an Arctic expedition, and they just park Josh Allen in the, the seat. And it's like, somebody get the man the parka. Come on. Help the guy out. It was another – so a lot of stuff to unpack here. I thought Miami hung tough, right? I mean, the, the, the narrative coming in was, you know, warm weather team and they can't, you know, can't play in, in the conditions. Mm-hmm. And they hung tough, right? They ran the ball really well. Raheem Mostert averaged eight yards per carry, had a 67-yarder in there. Um, Miami ran the ball extremely well. It's actually one of those games I felt like they got away from it a yeah, little bit too much. They did. So they ran the ball really well, particularly in the first half. And then where did it go? Like he, Mostert had 17 carries in the game, 11 of which happened in the first half. He had 100 yards. Did he have 100 yards in the first quarter? Um, but yeah, 100 yards in the first. Eight of those, eight of the 17 carries came in the first quarter, which yielded 101 rushing yards. Yeah. And then they just stopped doing it. Even Salvin Ahmed. Found the end zone. He was. I mean, they were winning up front, Miami. Their offensive line was winning up front against Buffalo. It was kind of like if there's a weakness on Buffalo over the last, of, over the Sean McDermott era, pretty much, is there are games where they will get absolutely destroyed on the ground. And it, it looked like one of those games, and it was, you know, not that you have to play like that in December just because it's cold, but it's one of those games where it's working and you probably should have stuck with it a little bit more. Yeah. Miami um, still created some some chunk plays in the past game, two long touchdowns where Jalen Waddell and uh, just outspeeded everybody. Mm-hmm. Right? The yes. Um the blueprint to stop this Miami offense, it was interesting because Buffalo didn't really use it. It was like, okay, I I, I see your blueprint. I like that. It works. Good for you. We're gonna go what we do because we think it works as well. So they were running kind of their regular defense. They weren't doing the kind of aggressive press man stuff and funneling everything into the middle and then pouncing on those plays over the middle that the 49ers and the Chargers were doing. They were just kind of running their offense, or running their defense, rather. And it was still 
doing a pretty good job other than, you know, Mostert going beast mode in the first quarter and stuff. So I just thought it was kind of fascinating that the Bills saw what I do think is a pretty clear game plan of stopping this offense and went, eh, nah, not for us. <laughs> That's how Buffalo plays defense, though. They don't adjust a ton. Um, so I thought Tua – Tua's grade's not going to be as uh, as good as as perception. Remember, he had, so he had the two long touchdowns, um, a waddle deep ball that was a little underthrown, probably hits him in stride. It's a touchdown. The waddle deep crosser for sixty seven yards, where it, it's really bad safety play as much as it is. Well, it was a, it was a good throw by Tua and Waddle. Just man turns on the Jets, yeah, outruns everybody. But that should not probably have been a touchdown if it wasn't for Waddle. Um, Tua fumbled in the red zone that got recovered. They kicked a field goal after that. And he left one oh, back and inside on an out route that just got knocked down and oh, could have been a pick six. It was pretty bad. Um, I don't think Tua played maybe even as bad as the grade showed. It was really a couple plays that kind of um, kind of crushed him there. But I was impressed by Miami. You know, like a lot of people's takeaway was like, Bills win, but impressed by the Dolphins. Yeah, I think that's a fair takeaway, right? They hung tough with the Bills. I mean, in playoff weather, and still showed that they could put points on the board. I think that's good overall for the Dolphins. Yeah, when you look at what Miami have done this season in two games against Buffalo, who let's remember are were supposed to be the best team by a distance in the NFL generally uh, this year, are still shooting for that number one overall seed in the AFC, and are still you know one of the Super Bowl favorites. Miami have a points differential of minus one across two games against Buffalo and split the series. That's a pretty good performance overall, wouldn't you say? Like yeah. when you can like given what Buffalo is supposed to be, that's probably about as good as you could expect to work for Miami. Particularly when, you know, they essentially split the series in terms of weather as well, right? Like Miami bacon hot conditions probably worked in their favor. Buffalo freezing cold and snow has to work in Buffalo's favor. So I, overall, big picture, I think the two games against the, the Bills, this went reasonably well for Miami. Um, I thought Tredavious White had a really good game. It's not, again, it's not necessarily going to get reflected in the grading because... We got whooped on the touchdown. Yes. Because, on the Tyreek Hill touchdown. Because in that really good game, you switch off one play. That's the Tyreek Hill thing, right? Like you can have this... It's, it's like a few years ago when he went one-on-one with Jalen Ramsey. And Ramsey kind of took him out of the game, and then one play, you switch off and blip, you're dead. Like, that's all it takes. So, Tredavious White, I thought, had a great game, had a, gave up like three catches on nine targets, something like that, was right at the catch point a bunch of times. And then Tyreek Hill just like runs right by him on one play. He just can't get his hands on him. As soon as you don't get your hands on him, you can't run as fast as he does, and you're just done. And if the ball is accurate, you're, you're, you're dog meat. So, Unfortunately for him, his grade is going to get torpedoed by the one really big high leverage play that he coughed up. But generally, when you consider what he's coming back from, like this was the game that showed, hey, Tredavious White's back, and that's a pretty big thing for this Buffalo defense. But that's why what you're talking about, um, the blueprint, which was, you know, press and throw off the timing and all that stuff, they tried that one, on that one play with Tredavious White. They tried, and Tyreek Hill's destroyed press coverage most of the time in his career he's just so it's dangerous scary. like he's so lethal because all it takes is one play like even the games with the blueprint like Tyreek Hill still had a huge play and that was the difference you know what I mean they're so lethal because 
He's so fast. He's so quick. And he's so good at the catch point, which is the thing that I think makes it so dangerous. Because as much as, okay, if the ball is accurate, it's, it's immediate. But even if the ball isn't accurate, Tyreek Hill can go up and get it and adjust and make a play in a way that some other speed receivers deep down the field just don't do. Tyreek Hill is incredible at the catch point, which makes so many of these big plays. Um, the other thing I think we need to at least mention in this game is obviously Josh Allen. Um, like when they get to two-minute situations or you know those high-leverage plays, there are just so many things that you have to defend with Josh Allen, and you yeah. almost just run out of things that you're capable of stopping. Like he's going to find the thing – that you're not paying attention to on that given play call, whether it's the quarterback running, whether it's, you know, the scramble out of the pocket, whether it's the absurd deep, you know, bomb down the field. Like, he's just going to find the thing. Him, Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert sometimes to a lesser degree, these, like, super freak quarterbacks just bring so much to the table that you can't stop all of it. It's too hard. Yeah. So there, there was a lot. There was a lot to discuss with Josh Allen because it was another one of those games where who knows what's going to happen on any given play with Josh Allen. Good, bad, and different, right? So the game starts. Allen's all over the place, throwing the ball all over the place, right? Uh, friend of the show, Nick Wright, of course, mm. always, always takes an opportunity to take a shot at Josh Allen. He's like, oh, he's throwing to ten foot receivers, and he was right. Like his accuracy was way off early on. Thro- throws one right through uh, Javon Holland's hands in the secondary turnover worthy play and then the next drive there's like three quick passes and buffalo scores two of which are incredible right so as soon as you want to have like a a narrative alan's accuracy is off tonight or whatever it is nope next drive he's tearing it up um the, the play just before the half yeah they have eight seconds left whatever it was on the clock eight yeah and the usual play here is you snap it if somebody's open in the end zone, you throw it. If right. not, you throw it away. You kick the field goal. You're happy. So they're up by one at the Miami, what, four-yard line with eight seconds on the clock. Yes. Like, this okay. is common quarterback play, right? Yeah. You have one quick read. If it's open, you throw it. If it's not, you throw it away, take the field goal, go into the locker room. Mm-hmm. Josh Allen decides to scramble yeah. to the right and run out the clock on the entire right. play. Right, so at the point he decides to bail from the pocket – he has effectively, consciously or not, made the determination that now I actually need to make the play, otherwise we're getting no points from this. I've passed up an almost guaranteed three points to do whatever the hell it is I'm just doing right now. And at the point he does that, nothing's open because he's just blown the play to hell. Right. So now he's running to the, to the, to the right field with no plan, just the plan being I need to find something, otherwise I just blew three points. And then he does. And then he finds an open throw that that wasn't, right? He finds James Cook for a four-yard touchdown. So that put Buffalo up eight going into halftime. Yeah. And it's like, all right, they're going to pull away. Miami comes back, though. That's where the 67-yarder from Jalen Waddle comes in. They don't get the two. They're up two. Buffalo has a key uh, roughing the kicker on on a punt, right? They force a punt. They rough the kicker. Dolphins come back. Tua hits Tyreek with with that touchdown. It's 26-21. And then, again, the Josh Allen experience. He gets sacked and fumbles. Huge strip sack from Jalen Phillips, right? Jalen Phillips gets it. And, and again, this was like we talk about strip sacks. I, I Not just because we do this from a grading standpoint from PFF. There are some that you can avoid. There are some where you have to have the internal clock. Allen holds the ball way too long. So this 
the roller coaster of Josh Allen emotions are all over the place again, right? Because he gets sacked, loses the ball, basically hands Miami three more points. And the Miami goes up 29-21. But then, like, Allen doesn't give up, dude. I mean, mm-hmm. he, he always has these big plays in him. He's got a 44-yard run on the next drive. So this is what you're saying, right? How do you stop this guy? Yeah. There are obviously passes that are indefensible because he's got a cannon for an arm and he's accurate down the field. There's the running ability on pass plays, also like the 44-yarder. Kind of there's the running there's the running ability on design runs. But they end up, you know, Buffalo scores a touchdown. They go for two. He does the Superman over the line for a touchdown, which was another whole uh, glass case of emotions there. He barely gets it over and fumbles, and but it's a you know it's a it's the game tying two point conversion. Yeah, Jalen Phillips, another great game in what is turning out to be a great season for him uh, for the second year uh, defensive lineman there. Um, yeah, like Josh Allen, I think just brings too many things to the table where he will make you wrong even when you're right on the chalkboard. You know, this idea of, like, you draw up a play, here's what we're playing, this is the coverage that stops, or this is the defensive play call that stops everything they want to do on offense. And he makes too many plays that are right on the chalkboard wrong because he's just better than you are. And he does it, and Mahomes does it. Again, like, this this uh, small group of hyper-talented quarterbacks are just able to invalidate whatever it is you called on defense, even when you call it right. Like, that's what makes these guys so special is there are quarterbacks out there where when you get the right play call at the right time, you win because you, you, you take, took away everything they want to do. Then there's these groups of quarterbacks where even when you get it right, they'll just go, okay, plan B. And plan B is ad lib. And when they ad lib, they're just going to do something that you can't stop because they're freaks. And Allen is one of those guys. And as long as he just comes down on the right side of the sort of the high variance right now, which is I'm going to make some bad plays and I'm going to make some insanely unstoppable plays. As long as he hits the high leverage ones, you know, at the right time or the, the unstoppable ones, they're unstoppable. They win. Like that's what we're looking at with Josh Allen right now. Yes. Um, that's in, in when the game's on the line, right? We have these games where if, when you, you go back through the stat sheet and it's another one of those where Allen is the leading rusher, right? Yeah. You got that 44 yarder in there, but even then, he ends up with 10 for 77 plus the two-point conversion on the ground while also throwing the ball well. Four touchdowns, 300 yards. Um, yes, there was a couple turnover-worthy plays in there, but once it, like when, when Josh Allen came into the league, I think you expected some level of that variance. I sure. None of us expected – well, we didn't expect the good to be as good as it is. But if you said, hey, Josh Allen's going to have games with four or five big-time throws, yeah. multiple turnover-worthy plays, hey, that's part of the experience, right? But, man, you just want the ball in his hands when the game's on the line. Mm-hmm. Showed it again. Um, so, my, uh, Buffalo wins with game-winning field goal, 30, 32-29. Like we said earlier, there was supposed to be this lake effect snow. It was merely just a cold game with good conditions until the fourth quarter. Then it started snowing. You get the – wasn't full winter wonderland, but it was getting there. It was accumulating quickly. Yeah. Would have been more fun if we had that the entire time. But And, and again, like zooming out big picture, like the, the last few weeks have been rough for Miami, but I think they're showing that – Maybe it's not. Maybe they're not the team that you don't want to play in the postseason. But I still think they're a legit threat to anybody in the AFC. Oh yeah, absolutely. And, and, and again, you what? The narrative is probably too much. Like, oh, this team from Florida is going to come up north and lose by a million. Like, it doesn't sure. usually happen that way. But there's something to be said for going head to head 
in playoff weather in Buffalo. So Miami, who are they going to run into in the playoffs potentially? Cincinnati or Buffalo or Kansas City or whatever. We could absolutely see them, especially against Kansas City's defense if they have mm-hmm. to go to Kansas City. Can absolutely give them a game. And while Miami – and they were – Miami, by the way, absolutely depleted – at safety and in the secondary and everything, yeah, they, didn't they were have a hanging starting, tough. They didn't have a starting safety at any, or like they didn't have a safety at any point at one point in this game. Yes. J- Javon Holland goes down hurt. They were already without a starter. Like all of a sudden, they're playing like backup corners at safety. Their defense is inconsistent, um, in part due to all the injuries that they have. So, um, anyway, it was a good, it was a good game. That was Saturday. We have to get to Sunday. <laughs> okay, there was only six games at one o'clock. True. But first, the gauntlet is open for drafting on Underdog Fantasy. It's a playoff best ball tournament with a million dollars in total prizes and a hundred thousand dollars first for a first place prize. Just draft your team before the NFL playoffs start, and that's it. Drafting players will rack up a bunch of fantasy points and advance deep into the playoffs. Is that's key to the style of contest. So you're, you're basically trying to predict players that are going to be around for a while and are going to accumulate points. If you haven't signed up for Underdog yet, use the promo code PFF. And you'll get your first deposit up to $100 matched. If you draft your first gauntlet team before the end of Sunday. Oh, we already did this. It just, it just passed the deadline. Sunday did, in fact, just pass. Yeah, it just passed. But use the promo code PFF. I love this. Playoffs, underdog fantasy. Go do it right now. Use the promo code PFF. You can win uh, up to a million dollars in total prizes. All right, where do we want to go with the Sunday games? Let's just do the hot, the, the big games. <laughs> I don't care if they're 1 o'clock or 4 o'clock. We'll just do the most important games, and then we'll finish the show by saying Denver won. Finish the show by all the games that nobody cared about. So what did people care about? Let's talk about the Chiefs. We just talked about the Bills. The Chiefs, that's where you want to go. You they went to overtime. It was an overtime game. It was. Chiefs-Texans. Chiefs win 30-24 to against the preseason Week 4 Texans. Yeah. Not even – that's the thing. It, it – the Vikings and the Colts game was crazy and one of the most absurd games in NFL history and one of the funniest games in NFL history. But this was the weirdest game of the week where the Kansas City Chiefs, who are arguably the best team in football this season, uh, who had a 14-point, uh, f- like they were favored by 14 going into the game, were taken to overtime, not just by the Houston Texans, who were on their way to the number one overall pick by a pretty comfortable margin, but by the Houston Texans shorn of all of their best players. Not whatever passes for Houston's best players this year. But like anybody of consequence was injured in this game. And they still ended up having success. This game makes no sense at all. There is no logical explanation for why or how this happened. I I know we got pushback that we were so negative about Patrick. I'm so negative about Patrick Mahomes. And I, I vowed to be mm. different. And I, I tweeted yesterday, like, this, this game against the Texans, even though it's against the Texans, it's, it's actually a, a good case for Patrick Mahomes, the MVP. Not because he tore it up against the Houston Texans in a bad defense, but because the rest of the Chiefs tried to lose this game. I mean, Mahomes <laughs> goes 36 for 41. There's a drop in there as well. It's the highest completion percentage in NFL history for anyone over 35 completions in a game. So he's 89, 88% completions, kept finding, he missed a couple early, and then that was it. Like he hit his last 20 or whatever it was, ran for a touchdown as well. Um, just kept moving the chains, moving the chains. Jarek McKinnon was fantastic as well. But I mean, there, there, were, there were some good players for Kansas City, but 
two lost fumbles in there. McKinnon, one of them, I believe. Pacheco yeah. and McKinnon were um, the two lost fumbles. Like the Chiefs' offense got stopped, what once or twice, for real, and then they and they fumbled twice. Yeah, you give credit to the Texans, but it was kind of like we were joking about the pregame analysis. How can the Texans win this game? We get turnovers, red zone. When that was that was how they kept close, right? Turnovers. The Texans just kept converting these key third downs, kept the ball, you know, and just stayed in it somehow. There were also a couple of plays in there where it's like, Oni Mahomes can do that. Oh, the throwback there, to Kelsey. Yeah. There were there are plays where Mahomes and Josh Allen are very similar in certain ways and that they can make very closely related plays, but Josh Allen clearly Josh Allen does it from a base of just more brute strength than Mahomes does. Like it's it, it always sort of manifests slightly differently. Like they both have very, very similar touchdowns. You know, Mahomes, where he's rolling right, spins around a defender, and then does that little flick to a guy that's opened up. Allen had the same thing, but instead of, like, spinning around a guy, he, like, stiff-armed a linebacker to the turf <laughs> right. before he fired it in there. You know what I mean? It's, it's effectively the same play, but it, it came about slightly differently. But whereas, Mahone, whereas Josh Allen and um, Herbert, I think, probably have stronger arms than Mahomes if you said, right, plant – Plant your feet, set your feet, and fire the ball through this barn door. Like, I, you, know, the, you can see these TikTok videos every now and again where there's like X number of planes of glass. It's like, how many planes of glass can you break by throwing something through it, right? Allen would break more panes of glass than anybody else in the league. Herbert would probably be second. Um, but Mahomes seems to be able to generate velocity and distance and accuracy without any platform to do it from in a way that I don't think any other quarterback can do. So that throwback to Kelsey. Like, Brett Favre, who is a Hall of Fame quarterback with one of the strongest arms in league history, you know, independent of the potentially robbing the poor for money, um, Brett Favre has a highlight, a lowlight reel for his career of all of these plays where he rolls out into the flat and decides to hurl it back across his body and quickly reminds you why your coach not to do that because the ball hangs in the air for a while and somebody picks it off that you didn't see coming or that you just gave too much chance to get to the spot. Like the, one of the greatest quarterbacks in NFL history with one of the strongest arms in NFL history has a giant highlight reel of plays that shows you the folly of doing that. And yet Mahomes is able to do that with absurd regularity. Like, he gets out into nowhere, and Kelsey is, like, halfway back across the middle of the field, like, you know, arms in the air waving yeah. as if, like, hey, I'm open, I'm open. But, like, you don't throw there because you're going to put the ball in the air for a million miles, like, for an hour. Somebody's going to walk under it, pick it off, and you're going to look like an idiot. And yet, with no – he jumped. Like, with no feet on the ground, he turns and, like, hurls it back across the field and connects perfectly with him. And you're like – how does he do that? Mahomes is the only quarterback and in the league. And he gets there just in time. Every time. Just in time. He's just the, like as a runner. Yeah, he's the only quarterback in the league that can hit that almost every freaking time, and it makes no sense. His his spatial awareness, his vision, because on that play, everything's when he's scrambling right, everything to the right is taken. Yeah. Right? Kelsey's literally the only option there. Right. And, and like the Josh Allen touchdown, as I mentioned with James Cook, was he created an open throw when there wasn't one. Right, we talk about supporting cast and, and all these things all the time, 
And yeah, I mean, if a receiver wins his route and he's open, you're supposed to hit him and all that fun stuff. But what Allen and Mahomes and some of these guys are doing are creating plays that aren't there, right? What used to happen is if, if nobody's open, you get good at the back shoulder game, right? You get good at, okay, nobody's open, but I, but I'm gonna, I, have a, I have an answer for that. We're going to back shoulder throws, right? Because he's covered technically, but I'm accurate enough and I've got enough rapport with my receivers that we're going to create this open throw. What Mahomes and Allen and some of these guys are doing scrambling out and then creating these open throws that shouldn't be there and the point but the point with that one is that the Kels, the kelsey player is always open because he's nowhere near the play and defense well, yeah, is right the defense yeah. generally leaves that guy open because you can't throw it to him because the ball's going to be in the air for so long that you're going to pick it off like sydney rice was open when brett Favre decided to heave it back across his body in the 2009 nfc championship game but the ball was in the air so long that it got picked off and it was the play that lost the game. Like, you don't make that throw because it's so dangerous. And yet Mahomes makes it all the time and gets it there somehow, despite not being able to plant his feet. And it's just, those. there was that play, and then a couple of plays earlier, there was one where he's, like, running to the right in his own end zone and just, like, casually flicks the ball, like, 55 yards in the air. Uh, that was dropped. Justin Watson. Yeah, it. Justin Watson does come up with it. But, like, again, that was just madness that he's able to do that. So, um, and then on top of that, I think the, the Chiefs offense always does a good job of scheming up open throws as well. And you have Jarek McKinnon, you know, open in the flats a lot. I mean, they were moving the ball effectively until they fumbled it. Um, Texans hung tough. They played hard. In overtime, the Chiefs got the ball first. They did get it. The Texans get a stop, mm. right? A rare sack of Patrick Mahomes. Blake Cashman played only four snaps, one of which was a sack of Mahomes on third and long. Chiefs have to punt it. Texans... Give it away at that point. After all of that, they give it away. I could see Bills fans at home just like, come on, Texans, don't tease us like that, right? I mean, you're battling for the number one seed. You got the same record. You have the tiebreaker. You don't expect the Chiefs to lose to the Texans, but they teased you just a little bit. Buffalo and Cincinnati fans, maybe, you know, battling for that number one seed. Um, Davis Bills scrambles out, fumbles, Chiefs recover. Um, such a bad they're fumble. in field goal range as it is but then Jarek McKinnon just runs it right in for a game ending touchdown it was such a bad fumble as well like he's escaped the pocket he's getting a positive play and then he's just holding the ball like out you know out where it's daint where it's where it's loose he's just holding the ball like it's not a problem that somebody's chasing him down and probably aiming for the football like just protect it for god's sake um yeah it's just it's funny in the you're like, how does this game happen? I mean, the Texans chewed up like the entirety of the, for the first quarter score. They score after almost making a mess of it, by the way. Like, uh, who was it? Aikens dropped a touchdown. Okay, it was pass interference as well, so he got they got away with it. But, like, he dropped a touchdown. They ended up scoring. They go up the touchdown. So they're 7 nothing up after basically 14-something minutes. The entire first quarter is gone. But then, like, Kansas City is good. Like, three minutes later, it's 7-7. Seven -seven. Like, yeah, see, this is the problem, that the Chiefs' offense, if they don't shoot themselves in the foot, they're just going to score, and it's very hard to, to get, get over the top of that. But the overtime was the perfect – like, it, it unfolded exactly the way it needed to for Houston to get anything done, and then you just gave the ball away. Well, yeah, the Texans were playing tough. They did force three punts on the first six possessions uh, – three punts and a, a one-play a one fumble as far as drives go. So that's how, that's how the Texans are in it. But then again, at some point, it's like, well, the better team's just going to look better. The, the, the Chiefs go 13 plays for 97 yards on a touchdown drive before the half, right? That's, 
if you're a Texans fan sitting there like, how are we going to pull this off? Everything's going right. Everything's going right. You give up a 13-play, 97-yard drive. It's just like, well, the, the Chiefs are just too good here. But he still got to overtime, which was impressive. So playing hard for Lovey Smith. I know that. An outmanned Texans team. They're 1-12-1, but they played really well against the uh, one of the best teams in the in the NFL. Real quick, are the Chiefs is the rest of the Chiefs roster just not comparable to say the Bills and the Bengals in the AFC? Is that what's going to come back to bite? And honestly, even if the Chiefs go up against the Dolphins in say the first round of the playoffs, is that a dangerous one? I mean, I feel like we're at that level. If they have to play their division rival Chargers or have to play the Dolphins, Chiefs are really good. But it's it's that offense carrying things, right? Yeah. Defense made some stops and all that stuff. I know they won it at the end, but I don't know, man. Yeah, it's kind of gone back to being what we expect the Chiefs to be, which is really good on offense. The defense isn't as good. The roster overall isn't the strongest in the NFL, but they have Mahomes and Kelsey, and that makes an awful lot of things not matter. Yeah, I think that about sums it up. All right, let's go Jacksonville Jaguars, 40. Dallas Cowboys, 34. Jags win once again. They're now within a game of the Tennessee Titans in the AFC South, and it looks like we are headed toward a potential Week 18 battle. Jaguars and Titans for the AFC South. Could be happening. Cowboys fall to 10-4. and four. Jaguars move to 6-8. and eight. Cowboys were up 21-10, to 24-10. They were up 27-10. to 10. They had this game in hand, and then a couple-minute sequence where – Trevor Lawrence hits uh, like a, a Zay giant Jones. bomb. Yeah. Jay, Zay Jones had, I think, the same number of touchdowns or more touchdowns in this game than he had for the Raiders, something like that. Um, hits Jones with a bomb. Then they get a sack on Dak Prescott, and then very, like immediately after that, Prescott throws an interception uh, in his own, like from his own, backed up. Um, then they get a big run play from Agnew to to set up a low red zone, all within like a minute. And all of a sudden, this game is flipped on its head, and and the the Jacksonville Jaguars are coming back and, and making this a big game. And then it it continued to break their way. There's another game where it was like, if you're going to make a comeback like that, don't you think everything should go perfect? Shouldn't everything go well? And it didn't. Like Lawrence made man, he's making big time throws, just unbelievable stuff. Again, one of his best throws was a negated. You know, he breaks out of a sack, rolls out. Throw, find somebody in the end zone and we're seeing the spectacular stuff from Lawrence yeah every single week that we should and then they have this comeback attempt for the game tying field goal and Lawrence fumbles once they get into field goal range great scramble tries to cut back he fumbles like th this is what we're saying about the NFL this weekend it's not as clear cut as here's this great comeback and everything went well for this team like even in comeback attempts like the Jaguars had here they almost blew it as well but they still ended up getting to overtime. And then the overtime winner, man, it just dropped by Noah Brown. Yep. Noah Brown had two touchdowns earlier in the game, but dropped by Noah Brown pops up into uh, Rayshon Jenkins' hands. <laughs> ridiculous Pick play. six. Walk off, pick six. Cowboys looked stunned. Yeah, like not the, the most accurate pass in the world, but hit his receiver in the hands. Yeah, Got to catch it. but it's one you don't even – right. It, it's not the most accurate pass in the world, but it's one that should have been a first down. Yeah. It's one that happens all the time in the NFL. Here's a sliding catch beyond the sticks for a right. first down. Nobody's going to bat an eye. Like, this wasn't on Dak. That no, particular again, one. It's the just other like, interception was. But. It's just the stupid variance in NFL uh, between from the same throw. You know, from this is 
where grading is important. Like the ridiculous variance in result from exactly the same pass between very positive EPA play in overtime, driving to try and take a lead. You hit your receiver, I mean, not in the hands because he had to adjust, but like you, you, what should have been a catch uh, for a positive yardage for driving in overtime to win the game actually ends up being a game losing pick six for the exact same throw. Like that's, that's ridiculous. There's no other, I can't think of another sport where things are that like, wild in terms of results for exactly the same play from like the quarterback throws the ball and once he's done that the outcome is so entirely dependent on what the guy on the other end is going to do to it that it can range from really useful positive play to actually you just lost the game there was um right i i hear you man it's it's it is nuts lawrence had a great touchdown late to micah parsons right in his face walker little had to come in play right tackle that didn't go so hot, particularly on that play. Parsons right in his face. Laurent, uh, Trevor still gets the touchdown there. Um, the other key play, was it on the game-tying field goal drive? Evan Ingram getting out of bounds. Um, it looked like the Jags were were blowing it again, where they were taking these passes inbounds, where they weren't able to stop the clock, and Evan Ingram worked so hard to get out of bounds. They reviewed it, said, hey, yeah, they, yeah he did to stop the clock, and that bought some extra time for the Jaguars to get into field goal range to tie it up to just, just to get to overtime. Yeah, and, and we also need to talk about um, the Dallas right tackle solution. So Terrence Steele, obviously down, gone for the year. We were debating uh, in the preview, what do they do at right tackle? Do they go with Josh Ball? Do they put Jason Peters, you know, like 20-year veteran at left tackle? Do they then ask him to turn play right tackle? Uh, and Tyron Smith is on his way back, so that adds even more complexity to the whole situation. So what they end up doing is starting Tyron Smith, first game back from a really serious hamstring injury, at right tackle for the first time since 2011, uh, and rotate in Jason Peters at right tackle. So they take two longtime veteran left tackles and effectively rotate them in at right tackle. Um, I mean, neither of them played particularly well, but just the fact that that was A, the solution, and B, that it kind of worked is pretty absurd like tyron smith coming back first game back from injury playing a position he hasn't played for a decade is silly yeah i completely agree that's um it we talked about the the difficulty in doing that with veterans i didn't think of the tyron smith solution he was the I more i mean i didn't know he was coming back this week yeah but. he was the more recent right tackle and, and again <laughs> like right which was 2011 right those are in uh, and what you just said, like those are common things, right? Here's this rookie, he plays right tackle as, for a year, and then he moves to left tackle for the rest of his career. Yeah. Like those those types of moves are common, right? Plays left tackle in college. He played both in college, I right. believe. He did. Then he played both in the NFL for the first couple yeah. of years, and then you settle in at left like tackle. If this happened a decade ago, it would make a lot of sense. Yes. But there is not a great history of longtime left tackles moving to right tackle. We'll see how it goes going forward for the Cowboys here. But. Dallas, by the way, in this game also had a really nice play um, where they they just manufactured, you know, sometimes where you catch the defense in something because of their rules. So Dallas was able to get Josh Allen, the pass rusher, covering a tight end one-on-one down the sideline into the end zone on a wheel route. Like, when you just dial up a play that catches the defense in something that's just a bad matchup, 
And immediately, as soon as Dak Prescott sees that, it's like automatic ball in the air, give the guy a chance to make a play. Um, who was it that caught it? Uh, backup tight end whose name I can't remember. Ferguson? No, let me load that. Peyton Hendershot. Oh, Hendershot in the touchdown. Yeah, I didn't know which play For you were his talking touchdown. about offhand. Yeah, does this take a little luster off the, uh, the Christmas Eve game, Eagles and Cowboys? Eagles I mean, it's not as meaningful, a, but it's still like, you know. It means something for like, hey, what's, what are these, these playoff caliber yeah, teams like going to Yeah, like Dallas goes from pushing Philadelphia for the division to, well, that's probably gone now, but you're still a dangerous playoff team that, you know, can, can like particularly in the NFC where the Bucks might still host a playoff game, where Minnesota is going to host a playoff game. Like in, in this conference, a team like Dallas, who's going to be the sort of the, the prime wildcard team, like, I mean, Dallas is a threat to any of those teams. Yeah, because Philly's 13-1 and one now. They have a three-game lead over Dallas. Um, they both uh, they both, both clinch playoffs. Uh, Philadelphia playoffs, have only clinched the playoffs. They haven't yet clinched. So technically, the Eagles could lose their last three. Cowboys could win their last three and, yeah. and win the division. But it takes a little bit of the luster off. What do, you, what do you make of – I mentioned this to you last week. What do you make of the Cowboys struggling with the Texans? Does that mean something going forward? The Texans now, back-to-back weeks, have taken it to the Cowboys and the Chiefs. Lost mm-hmm. both games, but kept it close, late, yeah. and had chances to win. I didn't think last week meant a whole lot. Um, I don't even know if this week means a whole lot. Maybe like the Jacksonville, Texans are just better than we made. You know, Lovey Smith's got them playing hard, man. Yeah. I mean, Jacksonville, I think, is now a pretty decent team. So maybe this week means more than last week, but it's also against a much better side. I think, ultimately, Dallas is still fine. Like, their offense did a lot. Like Micah Parsons was again dominant. Like they 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 did enough that they probably should have won this game, put it out of sight. But a a minute plus sequence in the middle of the game swung it out of their favor and back to Jacksonville. We mentioned Dak. Had plus, the two- by the way, again, like remember they lost because in overtime a positive play ended up being a pick six because somebody couldn't well, catch a ball. Again, you got you got It wasn't a positive play for the Cowboys. It was a positive but play should for have been. Dak. Yeah, as the quarterback. Right, but all your like. It's All a you're bad relying. play by the Cowboys. It was a drop. Yes, but it's not like it was a good – it's not like it was – they didn't have it taken away from them by a great defensive play. Like a guy who had the ball hit him in the hands managed to turn that into a pick six. Like that's a play – you know, you're looking at this and saying, should Dallas have won this game or not? I mean, <laughs> you just catch a football and you win the game, probably. Uh, Dr. Eric Eager had a tweet last night, rest in peace, about <laughs> what the AFC playoff quarterbacks could look like. Um, now, I got to question his order here. He went Mahomes, Allen, Burrow first. And I don't know if this was his way of saying this is an order of who's good or who he thinks is going to get the number one seed or anything. Noted Chiefs fan here. Mm. But you got Mahomes, Allen, Burrow. Yep. And now in the playoffs, potentially, we also could see Trevor Lawrence, Justin Herbert, Lamar Jackson, Tua Tungavailoa. Like the new era of young AFC quarterbacks that would push you know Ryan Tannehill out. I would say uh, Mac Jones and the Patriots don't make it. Zach Wilson and the Jets don't make it. What a group that would be, though. A group of seven. And I just want to say Trevor Lawrence in that group, games like this where he can just – these are the comebacks I was talking about, right? Like these are the the things we expected to see from Trevor Lawrence at some point. He's he's there, right? He is there. I don't don't want to like uh, announce his arrival every single week. But this is another one where he's able to make these big-time plays, big-time throws, and just be this 
Herbert, Mahomes, Allen, like he's a playmaker just like all those other guys. It started a little bit slower for Trevor Lawrence. I mean, he's had, but he's in that boat where he could lead a team to score forty points, whatever, thirty something points, and be in these games and maybe create some havoc in the playoffs. Yeah, if I mean, they get in. He's now played in the NFL for almost two years, and he's got maybe eight or nine good games. Five of them have come in the last six weeks. Yeah, I mean, this is uh. 1996 Jaguars type of stuff, you know? Going to get into the playoffs, upset the Broncos. We need to get the Lions, otherwise people are going to be mad. Get on with it. It's 8-11. We're good. We're good. Lions 20. Jets 17. The Lions are 7-7. Seven and seven. There you go. They've gone from a 7% chance to make the playoffs to a 21% chance last year, or last week, rather. I think now they're above 30 they're still not like, like the chances are the odds are still that they will miss the playoffs, but they're moving in the right direction every week. They are. So the Lions moved to seven and seven, just like the Seattle Seahawks. They're both on the outside looking in as far as the playoff picture goes. The Giants win last night gives them a leg up. Man, this tie is really going to throw everything off, isn't it? That stupid tie. The commanders have the seven seed right now at seven, six and one, just above the seven and seven Seahawks and the seven and seven Lions. Mm hmm. Seahawks have the tiebreaker over America's Lions at the moment. America's Lions. America's Lions. And, of course, the Bucks are in there with the 6-8 and eight division. Yeah. Lions have a better record than the Bucks now. And so does most people, yeah. The Bucks, they're bad. Um, this was a good back-and-forth game. I thought Detroit's offense looked great early. Um, Goff looked good early, but then after that, there was nothing going, really. The Jets' defense played much better. Lions' offense wasn't getting much going. Um until the end, 17 to 13, the Jets have the lead. Fourth quarter comeback attempt, it's fourth and one. Jared Goff, they run play action on fourth and one. You talk about the good plays and the bad plays on fourth and one. This was a good play. And it was like his third read on the play. They get that little shallow coming backside. Brock Wright catches it, goes 51 yards for the game-winning touchdown. Jets still had, obviously, some opportunities after that, but um, Lions defense held on. Yeah, I mean, how good is Ben Johnson as an offensive coordinator? I mean, we, a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about how he was just one step ahead of Ed Donatel for the entire game. Like, every single time, it was like he showed him one thing and then slapped him in the face with something else. Again, when you need a play, they dial up, you know, the tight end running across the field against the grain completely uncovered, effectively. Like, they just they – just, the Jets defense that's been doing a really good job, even without Quinton Williams, you know, was causing a lot of problems, was getting there with the pass rush, was making a mess of that Detroit offensive line. When they needed a play, he dialed up a perfect play call to get a guy wide the hell open in open space and runs through the, the Jets defense for a big game. Like Ben Johnson is just absolutely crushing it this season in terms of play calling. Like he might be the best play caller in the NFL from what I've been seeing the stuff that he's able to dial up at crucial times in high leverage situations. So generally, this Detroit offense has been really cooking this season, but they've had a couple of games here or there against really good defenses where it hasn't worked. And even in those games, their play caller is able to dial up stuff right at the key time. So when you got to have it, they have it. you got to be a little bit more definitive in your takes here. If you want to be on ESPN, you have to say, Ben Johnson is the best Offensive play caller in the NFL. Of I all know time. This, hands down. No, yeah, not just this year. Greatest I've ever seen. Of all time. Yeah. Ben Johnson. Greatest play caller I've ever seen. Thank you. Till next week. Yeah. No, this, I mean, yes. 
man, just credit the Lions. They're they're playing tough and um and their defense has been so much better too, right? I mean, that's again, every single week it's as as bad as they were in the first half of the year. That's they're they're that much better right now, able to they weren't making stops against anybody yeah. early in the year. Whatever switch flipped when they played the Packers offense a few weeks back, intercepted Aaron Rodgers three times and look, they're not the eighty five Bears, but they've been a thousand times better since that point. Just creating more tight window throws, making life a little bit more difficult. Yep, James Houston with another sack. That guy just keeps racking them up since being brought into the lineup. Um, like They've got a few players in that defense that are really playing well. Malcolm Rodriguez, a linebacker. Um, James Houston, Aiden Hutchinson has stepped up his game in recent weeks. Like that, The defense is definitely moving in the right direction at a pretty impressive rate of knots. Um, impressive rate of knots. Yeah. And then... Like the other thing is we're getting Jameson Williams into the fold on offense. Now, given what we've seen from him in really limited snaps, like the guy still only played 12 snaps this week. I, I, okay, I get it. He's coming off a major injury. You're slowly easing him into it. But can we increase the speed a little bit? You know, we've gone from like 6 to 8 to 12 snaps. How about next week 20? Like let's jump. Let's go from 12 to 20. I don't need, you know, 50, but maybe not 14 next. You know, come on. Let's, do this quicker. The guy looks amazing. Like, get him out there. What's the opposite of uh, impressive rate of knots? Uh, slow. Jameson Williams' development here. Yeah. His snap count. I just, we're, I feel, I understand caution. I Look, I, it makes a ton of sense, and maybe the medical people are dictating this or whatever it is, but I'm just so excited by what Jameson Williams can be in this offense because he looks electric anytime he's out there, and it just, like, it adds something to this offense that – as much as you're like, look, it's really doing well, it's cooking, it, it always sort of feels like it's a little bit smoke and mirrors. And part of that is Ben Johnson, the play caller, but it always feels a little bit unsustainable because ultimately Amon and Brown, as good as he is, is, is not, you know, Stephon Diggs. He's not necessarily a guy that can carry the offense by himself. And DJ Chark, he can do some things deep down the field, but he's not that electric, dynamic, you know, incredible playmaker they're just missing a guy like Jamison Williams which For is sure. why they went and got him in the draft and now that you're seeing like these tantalizing glimpses of it you're like come on get it use it more yeah as great as Ben Johnson's been as the best offensive coordinator of all time mm. you give him this added weapon of Jamison Williams to go with DJ Chark and, and now you're in the Saint Hall Brown, of Fame like Khalif Raymond and all these guys yes now you can walk right into the Hall of Fame got to give a shout out to we mentioned the Lions defense uh, the Jets did not have a running back carry of more than six yards. Uh, Olim McNeil, defensive tackle, second-year player, not third-year. Second-year player, <laughs> another really good game against the run, uh, being, you know, playing stout up front. Not saying he's DJ Reader or anything yet, but we've seen the impact that one effective nose tackle has had for, say, the Bengals and their run defense. Olim McNeil has shown enough flashes, like he's kind of getting there as a playmaker. He was right in the middle of a whole bunch of defensive stops for that run defense. And the Jets' offense was uh, very boomer bust in this game. Zach Wilson got the start. We didn't know this, I don't think, at the time when we were making picks on this no, game. No, Mike White was trying to get himself cleared, and 10 doctors told him to forget about it because he got broken ribs. Yeah. So you got to sit out with the broken ribs here, Mike. Zach Wilson gets the start, and there, the, the, there's just no pattern to Zach Wilson games. Um, average depth of target was 14. Yeah, 15 if you – eliminate no plays so it was literally three times deeper than jared goff yes on a per throw basis and 
we saw some special from Zach Wilson. We saw some nice throws. Yeah. We saw some bad ones. So they've got this the comeback attempt. This was like the game. He let he a go-ahead drive in the fourth quarter. Yeah. This was the game that you actually thought Zach Wilson would look like, you know, when he was drafted. It's like, okay, Zach Wilson brings some special to the tables, comes from this BYU offense, never been pressured in his life. It's going to be a little weird. You're going to see some high variance. And it wasn't. Like up until now, it's never really been high variance. It's just been bad. But this was the high variance. Like we saw some big time throws from Zach Wilson and some legit play. We also saw some terrible play that we've become accustomed to. Like at one point, he missed Denzel Mims on a slant that was so far behind Denzel Mims that it was actually behind Jeffrey Akuda, who was trailing Denzel Mims so far that he couldn't intercept it. You know what I mean? Yep. Which means it's like two yards off where it's supposed to be on, you know, a five yard slant, whatever that works out to being as an actual distance trig- trig- trigonometrically, you know, math-wise, um, geometrically. But like it, that was terrible. That's one of the worst throw, like worst routine throws you're ever going to see a quarterback make. And then he comes back and like actually layers some really nice big plays in there as well. Yeah. So the the Jets had two fourth quarter comeback drives, right? The one that was successful and got them to take the lead. Wilson hits this beautiful third and 19, deep crosser, right in stride. If there's one thing I'll say about Wilson, they still had some of the, the weird stuff where he drops back, it's a clean pocket, and then he sprints right. Mm. Like it was like a Madden player, right? It feels like when we, when we compliment Mahomes and Allen for doing this, it feels like they're doing it with a purpose, right? They yeah. will, they're sprinting right, and Peyton, I, I always mention Peyton, he used to always do this. If, if the outside, if the defensive end stunted, he would use that to like create room. He would say, oh, you're, you're stunted. I'm going to beat the defensive tackle to the spot and make, but it's still a pocket throw for Peyton, right? He was reading the defensive line's movement. Wilson would take this normal four-man rush and just like sprint right like a Madden player and just leave the pocket too much. It happens sometimes. What I'm saying is it did feel like he was just, he was in rhythm a little bit more. Now his in rhythm throws may have been all over the place. Mm. right there were some bad misses there were some good ones but for whatever it was worth he was throwing on time and in rhythm I'll call that a win for the Jets and Zach Wilson's development there was a lot of plays where he hits the top of his drop got rid of it there was enough plays in there where I was like they're trying they're they're trying to make improvements here Wilson's working hard to make improvements here I saw some of that you saw some of the special downfield throws and they were very aggressive with Wilson throwing the ball down the field the complete opposite of what they did in that Bills game plan where it was all take the ball out of Wilson's hands. They put it into his hands. There was some good. There was some bad. Overall, I think it's still a step forward in his development. Yeah, I mean, given what we last saw from Wilson, I think this was a giant step in the right direction, even if his grade, because it was so high variance and there was a lot of bad in there, won't necessarily be any better. This was reason. I I think for the Jets overall, this was as encouraging as a, like, playoff backbreaking defeat can be. You know, they're, they're now, what, bottom of that division. But they showed that their defense is legit without their best player, arguably, in Quinn and Williams. They, they're, they're now backup quarterback, actually showed some signs of life. Um, and they could have beaten the Lions. They didn't. But, like, this was, a, this was a game that showed the Jets are still, like, a, they're still a very good football team. It just wasn't enough. And then for Detroit, keeps them alive in the playoffs and showed that they're legit for a run. Yeah, that's um, – oh, man, it is a disappointment for the Jets. As, as great as they started this season, they're now 7-7, seven and seven, tied with the Patriots. The Patriots have the tiebreaker because of the head-to-head, of course. But you're on the outside looking in. 
um, officially a game back from two different wildcard teams, the Chargers and the Dolphins, and uh, one game back of both of them at eight and six, and two games behind the Ravens, who are nine and five. Mm-hmm. So the playoffs are looking uh, a little bit more bleak here for the Jets. Jaguars and Jets this week, Thursday night. Get Zach Wilson back, probably. Do you just roll with Zach Wilson, or is Mike White when... Uh, oh, I think Mike w- White gets the job back as soon as the doctors tell him he can play. When the ribs healed? Yeah. But that's not like... That doesn't feel like a week, that, the kind of thing that's going to heal in a week. I mean, if you're... If your ribs are broken, which apparently was the report, to the point where 10 doctors are saying, forget about it, I don't know that that's next week you're fine. Like, that feels like you're out for a while, no? Yeah, could be. I really want to see the number one versus number two pick, though. Trevor Mm -hmm. Lawrence, Zach Wilson. By the way, Denzel Mims just can't catch a break. The dude ends up actually being a big part of this game and then out with a concussion immediately. Like, yeah, that's all. I'm just bummed for Denzel Mims. For your guy. Um, so Jets Jaguars this Thursday with uh, with playoff implications. How about that? Also saw somebody highlight Jaguars and Lions first two picks in the draft last year, right here, right on the cusp, playing for a playoff spot. Love the NFL. I mean, that's that's this season, right? In a nutshell. Congrats, Lions fans. Good job. Go Lions. You guys are doing great. How's that? Is that good? Good work. Good rah rah. Yeah. What else happened yesterday? Uh, we got. Give me the oh, we got to. New England, Las Vegas, just for that ending. Okay, yeah, yeah. I, I, I got to get out of the one o'clock games. Let's go to that. We'll talk Bucks, Bengals. We'll talk Chargers, Titans. We'll talk all of those There's first. So many games left. Yes. Um, <laughs> Las Vegas Raiders thirty, Patriots twenty four. What do you think of this game? Uh, this might be the most ridiculous ending of a game in NFL history. So on a weekend where the biggest. Comeback, yes, occurred. The great, the largest comeback in NFL history occurred. The hapless, disastrous Houston Texans took the Chiefs to overtime before they lost it. Like, okay, so, <laughs> so Mac Jones must want to murder everybody in that building at this point because I think it's becoming more and more clear as the season wears on that Mac Jones is not the problem in New England. It's everything else, and actually, not even everything else. More specifically. The coaching. The Patriots, from all outward evidence, actually display the signs right now of being a badly coached football team. And Bill Belichick is still the head coach. I I think it's probably fair to assume that it's not Belichick causing the problems, which puts the focus on a couple of human beings, and everybody knows who they are. So the Patriots kept making an absolute balls of scoring. They they get, like, okay, they, they... what is a pass interference sets them up right in the shadow of the Vegas goal line. They then score a touchdown, but it's taken off the board because somebody on the sideline called a timeout. Mac Jones is now about to murder somebody immediately because he's, you know, scored a touchdown. They just got it taken off. They then score again on a quarterback sneak. Mac Jones does the old jump over the pile thing, extend the ball over the goal line. Touchdown. Nope. Negated by a false start. That was incredible. Like those touchdowns. That they were unable to score. A this is all on the same drive. Yeah. So, and then they have to settle for a field goal. Like, at this point, Jones is pissed. Having, you know, a couple of weeks ago, he's screaming at somebody on the sideline, you know, the quick game sucks. Like, just pass the ball. Like, it's actually, they're kind of doing what he wants, only they keep making a mess of it. And so, somehow, the Patriots then get a lead. They're doing a reasonable job. And the Raiders score the tying touchdown. Only... 
pretty much all visual evidence seems to suggest that the second foot landed out of bounds. They review it. The officials are like, yeah, not conclusive. I'm going to tweet this out. I think we need to maybe try to put it up on the screen. It's not conclusive. So we're going to, the call stands. Now, after the game, the officials in the pool report essentially said it was not clear enough on replay to overturn it. They also said that had it been called an incompletion on the field, it wasn't clear enough to overturn it the other way either. This is the only problem with the idea of default to calling it a touchdown because it will get looked at on replay. You know, sometimes you're like, just let it go because then it will get checked. You know, problem is when it's checked and it's close enough that you just don't want to mess with the call. So they end up calling a touchdown. What I'm pretty sure everybody really knows wasn't. It was very close, but it wasn't. So now New England are tied in a game where they should be winning. Um, and time is expiring. They don't really have enough time to get it done. So they just run a draw. They just run a draw up the middle, chew up some time, eat up the clock, we'll go to overtime. Remind the giant hole up the middle because the Raiders aren't defending a draw because all you're caring about is stopping them getting to the sideline or having a giant play. So they're essentially running prevent defense. Ramondre Stevenson has a giant hole at the middle, then starts moving to the right and decides to lateral the ball to Jacoby Myers for no reason under God's green earth. Myers, seemingly inspired by the idea of lateraling the ball, decides, oh, I guess this is the situation we're in now. It's, it's crazy, crazy woo-woo time. Just turns around and heaves it back into the middle of the field in the direction of Mac Jones, who's 20 yards behind the plate, is watching this unfold. Doesn't get it there. Chandler Jones, the defensive end from the opposition, picks it up, and the only thing standing between him and a walk-off touchdown is Mac Jones. So what does he do? He just, like, stiff-arms him to the turf, runs over him, and scores. The Raiders walk off in, in victory. And the Patriots are like, what the hell just happened? Mac Jones catching all sorts of strays, figuratively and literally, catching a stiff arm. Right. I mean, Mac Jones, people are like, uh, I got to find the Mac Jones quote where he took full responsibility for not tackling Chandler Jones. For not tackling Chandler Jones. Stop it. Mac Jones, poor Mac Jones, just hands the ball off. It's a draw play. Mac Jones is thinking about what plays are we going to run in overtime? You know, we're just running a draw. We're going to run it out. Nobody's going to score here. We're going to go to overtime. Hope we win the coin toss. What are we going to run? Hope we, you know, hope we win in overtime. Before you know it, there's a ball coming at him <laughs> from Jacoby Myers. And it's intercepted by Chandler Jones, who stiff arms him to hell. Yes. And look, Chandler Jones is six foot five and 260 pounds and decided he was going to run right over him. Like, okay, should Mac Jones have been able to execute that tackle as a large enough human being in his own right? Probably. But of the things to focus on on that play, that is way down the list. Like, yeah, okay, you know, how hard is it to tackle a guy? On the other hand, no. Why, why, let's not focus on that. Let's focus on everything else that was absurd in this play. And look, Jacoby Myers, to his eternal credit, came out and 100% owned this in all of his media uh, appearances after the game answered every question, did it with, like, tears in his eyes. Like, the poor guy made one of the worst mistakes an NFL player has ever made on a football field and came out and 100% addressed it and said, look, I just tried to do too much. I screwed it up. I made a huge mistake. I cost us the game. Huge credit to Myers for that. Um, But he's right. Like, he did. He did something 
completely inexplicable and insane. And they lost the game because of it. All right. There's a lot of insane things that happen on that play. First off, you know, the, the dots, the NGS dots, I usually don't. Yeah. I feel like those are overrated. Like, here are the dots from the play. It's like, I just watched the humans make the play. I don't care about the dots. The dots for this play are hilarious, though. Particularly the one where Mac Jones' dot just dies. <laughs> just just move again. I think the Jacoby Myers part, though, because it, Stevenson laterals it to him, and then Myers retreats like 10 yards yeah. just to create some space to lateral it to his immobile quarterback. Yes. Sorry, he's not immobile. He runs like a 4-7. To his quarterback. <laughs> yeah. Where it gets intercepted by Chandler Jones. Like- All right. So let's just back up really quick here. It is a tie game. Right. Why did it happen? Why in a tie game, they asked Bill Belichick, why didn't you throw it? We can't throw the ball that far. Might be fair, right? Okay. I can understand the reasoning that we're not going to risk, not going to risk throwing a Hail Mary because strip sacks can happen, right? And if you throw it short, it's useless, right? You can't throw a Hail Mary short. It's useless. You might as well just go to overtime. So your two options at the end of the game in a tie game should only be you're going to throw a Hail Mary or you're going to take a knee, right? Mm-hmm. There's nothing in between. Yes. It, it, and teams do this all the time. They get away with it 99 out of 100 times, right? They could have taken a knee to end the game. And they just run a play or they just, yeah, end of the half, they run, they just run a draw instead of just taking a knee and going to the locker room because bad stuff doesn't happen like this all the time. Why even run a draw? Why even run the ball? You're going to pick up 40 yards and just get tackled and you're going to overtime anyway. Why risk injury? Why risk your running back's going to lateral it to your wide receiver who's going to retreat 10 yards and throw it and lateral it to your quarterback and it's going to get picked off for a touchdown? That's why you don't do it. But they should have just taken a knee first off. I, nothing so, that's a, so that's a coaching decision to run the ball rather than take the knee. I, and then I don't know how much you want to blame the coaches for not alerting the players like, hey, this isn't a desperation lateral situation. How, but the, how is that something you even need to alert them to? That's what like, I'm saying. I, I'm saying you wouldn't... You of can. all of the situational football that you practice, you probably don't need to cover in a tie game. Right. Don't play the the desperation lateral game. Like, because in those situations, we see defensive touchdowns all the time when you're losing. The so one thing do I don't think game. you can blame the coaches for is not explicitly telling the people as they go out on the field with three seconds left, hey, don't, you know, go crazy with laterals and throw the ball to the defense here. Like, it's a tie game. Anything other than that, we go to overtime. Tyler, can you check my Twitter? I just retweeted something that um, it's the it's the Keelan Cole catch. And if we can get that up on the screen at some point, that'd be awesome. Um, it looks out of bounds. And there's people using this picture. We're like, oh, it's clearly in bounds. I'm like, yeah. I'm looking at the picture right now. It looks like he's out of bounds. He's got a two-tone shoe. That Yeah. So that picture is actually the best evidence of it, which they didn't have when they were reviewing it, by the way. Yeah. This is uh, at Left Eye Images. Yes. And who has 310 followers. 310 followers. And uh, he's got the best shot of this I've ever seen. Look at that. So, like, if you just think his cleat's white. Yeah, which it isn't. Then it looks like he's in bounds. But there's a black part of the shoe. Correct. Which appears to be on the white, right? Or there's white kicking up. Or is that in? I don't know. It's really close. That's out, right? I mean, yes. I think the black part of his shoe is on top of the white line which makes it out like this is this is how close it is right but it's like we're talking about a centimeter out of bounds oh i know so every angle looked like it's probably out of bounds but i can't clearly see. so the problem is the best angle they had was from high in the end zone from somewhere in the middle of the end zone kind of looking back across him 
And from that angle, it looks a lot worse than this because of perspective, right? It's like that in the World Cup. You'll know this as a big soccer fan. But there was a play in the World Cup uh, where the, like, the, the, whole, the rule is the whole of the ball needs to be over the whole of the line, right? So there is a world where the ball can be sitting on turf that is over the line. There's like clear daylight yeah, yeah, right. between the ball and the white line. But if you look from a directly overhead, like the ball overhangs over the line, yeah. right? So Because it's an oblong shape. Right. So this is, from that perspective, it looks like his shoe, his cleat is way over the line. But it's not. It's because you're looking like from the angle that looks like it's an o- a giant overhang. But from this angle, you see that it's still probably touching the line by like a centimeter. So it shouldn't have stood. And that was the, the play that tied it up. So that happened. I mean, it, it, let's just back up again. Go backwards through games, right? Is that how you do it? The Raiders were up 17-3 to again. The most dangerous lead in sports. The Raiders are up 13. Then they kicked an extra point to make it 14. Um, to get back into it, Derek Carr throws a pick six. Kyle Duggar, incredible read. Pick six to make it 17-10. to And it looked like same old Raiders. Patriots could not capitalize. They would settle for field goals, settle for field goals. Um, Patriots finally take the lead because of Ramonde, uh, Amandre, uh, Ramondre Stevenson. Stevenson has been just incredible this season. They showed a stat, too. He's got uh, only him and Christian McCaffrey have more than 50 catches and over 800 rushing yards, whatever that is. I mean, Stevenson has been really good for this Patriots offense this year. Jacoby Myers had a a big seam route. You know, he had like half the Patriots receiving yards on just that one catch at one point that that led to that touchdown drive. So Stevenson and Myers were a big part of the of the Patriots comeback attempt here. They're they're taking the lead. And then, you know, Raiders come back. They tie it up with 37 seconds left. Yeah. Somehow the Patriots managed to give up 14 points in the last 37 seconds of the game. (laughs) Um, Can you explain to me how the Raiders institutionally always have the most penalties in the NFL. No, I have zero explanation for that. Because they had 13 in this game, which I think tied or was the most in an NFL game. They had that with like six minutes left in the game, and then somehow didn't, well, not somehow, then didn't have a penalty down the rest of the way. The Raiders are always the most penalized team in the NFL, regardless of who the head coach is. Why? Stop doing that. I I also can't, I, I don't think... The, the narrative about penalties the way they are in the NFL is true, where it's like, this is an undisciplined team. Because like, every penalty is different. I mean, if all of your penalties are a whole bunch of false starts and pre-snap procedural penalties, I do think there's something to that. Jumping off sides, false starts. But like, if you're a team that has like a million pass interferences, it's as much probably on your DB coach as it is the head coach. It's not discipline. It's technique. It's, it's getting beat, right? So not all penalties are the same. And because that's, I think that's true, it makes zero sense to me that the Raiders, no matter who the coach is, is are always leading the, the league in penalties. It makes no sense. I Yeah, I don't understand it at all. So, But anyway, the Raiders won. They did. Six and eight. They're now six and eight. Patriots are seven and seven. I mentioned they're tied with the Jets just outside the playoff picture. The tough, the tough one for the Patriots to make the playoffs, they now have the Bengals, Dolphins, and Bills. Yeah, in some order. But those are their three remaining games. All teams that are slated to play in the playoffs, two of which may be the two best teams in the AFC, the Bengals and the Bills, right? So New England needed this game just to stay alive unless they're going to do something special against playoff caliber teams here. Um, The Raiders, what, still technically alive? 
at six and eight, but they need a whole lot of stuff mm-hmm. to happen. But what a ridiculous finish! Just stupid. I can't believe that happened. It, I I genuinely don't understand because so I can kind of get one guy uh, like losing track of the situation or misunderstanding or thinking crap we need to score in this play and doing something crazy like the the Myers thing on its own makes a little bit of sense to me not a lot but I get it because like, Stevenson started it yes right but like Stevenson it, it, throwing that lateral in the first place which by the way wasn't even sometimes you see NFL players toss a lateral where it's kind of so obvious that they just default to well, I'm about to get tackled, but this guy's in space. Let's quickly shovel it to my right, and he's open. Like this one, he had to. It was like a he had to get it over and around a guy to get it to Myers in the first place. Like the first lateral by Stevenson was nuts. Then Myers takes on that and goes, "Well, oh, hold my beer." Like launches it back across the middle of the field to a defensive end. Like the, the whole play was ridiculous. It would have looked weird if Stevenson basically. He laterals it, but Myers knows better. Catches it and just takes a knee. Right, but right? that would have made sense. You would have just been like, no, sorry, you, you screwed up. It's a tie game. We're not doing this. We're not playing this game. And then he, like, but you're right. Like, human nature is like, oh, I got lateral the ball. Like, let's, let's play ball now. And then he would have chewed out Stevenson for attempting such a ridiculous thing in the first place. <laughs> and then poor Max just sitting there like, I handed the ball off. The play's over. The guy that's already got screwed out of, like, multiple touchdowns early in the game by his own coaching staff and by his own offensive lineman false starting is watching this unfold. And then the final indignity of it all, he has to get trampled to death by Chandler Jones running over him like he was, like, an elephant just stomping right over the top of him. Like, honestly, Matt Jones must just have been – I don't even know how you react to that other than sheer – disbelief and out and like outrage that it happened credit to chandler jones he's a defensive end he caught the ball stiff-armed the quarterback and took it to the house pretty good yeah play chandler jones former patriot former patriot revenge game all right let's go to the uh bengals 34 bucks 23 uh another crazy game not as crazy as uh minnesota and indianapolis but you know completely one-sided early on and then just flipped in the second half, Bucks were up 17 to nothing. Uh, Tony Romo could not stop raving about the Bucks executing an offense. Uh, they discovered play action, Sam. And motion. And motion. They discovered that despite a lack of success on the ground, you can fake handoffs, move defenders, and create open throws. That's how the Bucks were running their offense in the first half, very effectively. Dominant first half. And um, they get up 17 nothing. Bengals tacked on a field goal just before the half. I want to say, I do feel like that was a bit of a turning point. Momentum shifter. Momentum shifter. <laughs> Here's what Zach Taylor did. The Bucks were the Bucks were driving down to go up 17 to nothing and Zach Taylor kept calling timeouts. Knowing okay, the Bucks or Bucks might score, but he wanted that one last possession before the half. Now, it wasn't like the the deciding three points in the game or anything, but the Bengals had done nothing on offense. They were throwing interceptions, they had done nothing, and they received the ball, right? They got the ball. Right? A lot of times when you're one-sided in the first half it's the team who got the ball first Mm -hmm. and then it kind of flips in the second half the Bengals got the ball and ran like 10 plays and then they run a quick two-minute drive just to get in field goal range kick a field goal and I felt like that helped a little bit with the Bengals I thought that was just smart to kind of like steal three points by Zach Taylor and the Bengals then the second half Tom Brady just turns the ball over four times yeah 
completely normal. This is the first time Tom Brady's ever a Tom Brady team has ever blown a 17 point lead. Yes, it was mostly his fault. Brady's setting an awful lot of records at the end of his career in a bad way. Yes, um, it's also the second time in his 23 year career that he's been two games under 500. The first time being a few weeks ago. Um, this that was from Adam Harstad on Twitter. The yeah, like so they 17 nothing up. And then end up being 34-17 down. The Bengals scored 34 unanswered points after that. Like, and the last touchdown drive was just garbage time anyway. I mean, Tampa Bay. 34 in a row, yeah. Yeah. They, they're up, whatever, 17-3 at the half. Um, they get the ball the start of the third quarter, as you said. And then they botch a punt. That's that like, was they just, the turning point. This team sure. cannot get out of its own way. Things are going okay. You finally discovered the secret to functional offense in the first half of week 15 of the NFL season with Tom Brady as your quarterback, right? Somehow you've discovered the alchemy of turning crap into success. And then you just botch a punt, give the Bengals the ball, and undo everything you just did in the first half. Like, in a weird way, this game is kind of encouraging to me because at least you discovered or at least you demonstrated that you had found it like if if they had just done what they'd done the rest of the season no play action no motion the same crappy offense that we've seen for the entire year and lost then you're like this is just never going to happen but at least for one half you demonstrated that there are people within the building that have identified certain areas that everybody else has seen for years and have figured out that they might help that is reasonably encouraging. The other thing that's encouraging is that despite this, they're still in first place in the division because everybody else in the division sucks. So this team should still host a playoff game, and there are still elements there that if you actually pull them all together can result in functional offense and functional play. Their defense did a really good job in the first yeah. half. of Even in the second half, though, like the Bengals had one touchdown drive that started in their own territory. Yeah. Their, their scoring drives were 13 yards and 31 yards and 13 yards. I mean, right. it was ridiculous. So what we said, like, in the pre in our preview, it was like if Tampa Bay's defense shows up, this could be a close game. If it doesn't, they're going to get blown out. The defense kind of showed up, and they still almost got blown out despite being 17 nothing up in the first place. Yeah, I just want to touch on the Bucks' perspective first and then the Bengals' perspective because, I mean, it is the complete opposite, right? Championship-level football and, and comebacks. There was a point in that first half where it's like, okay, maybe if the Bucks have figured it out and they can pull the upset against the Bengals, their last three games, you get uh, Cardinals, Panthers, and Falcons. Mm-hmm. You win the division, maybe they're nine and eight, nine and, or 10 and seven, nine and eight, whatever it might be. And it's like, all right, do the Cowboys really want to play the Bucks if they've, you know, learned how to <laughs> fake a handoff to right. the running back? I mean, th- that might change everything. <laughs> they've learned how to offense. You know? Um, but that's not the case. It was this, it became the same old Bucks where they couldn't get out of their own way, right? So, Fake punt, Giovanni Bernard wasn't ready for it. They just turn it over right there. They were still in it, though. They only It was 17-6 to six after giving up a field goal. Then uh, Brady hits Russell Gage, dropped. Next play, Brady fumbles, right? Like Brady's fumbling a handoff to Leonard Fournette. It just slipped out of Brady's hand. Yeah. It was ridiculous the, the way that the Bucs found a way to There's to so lose. many plays every single game where the Bucks just shoot themselves in the foot over and over and over again. The two that stood out to me, and you've mentioned other ones, but that botch punt. And then they sacked Joe Burrow for a 23-yard loss. Burrow tries to escape, Ridiculous then tries to escape again, just yes. keeps running backwards, ends up with nowhere to go, a 23-yard loss in the sack, wiped out because of a defensive holding penalty. 
and a defensive holding penalty that didn't even need to happen, wasn't necessarily at the point of the play. Like, somebody, every time, somebody on the Bucks finds a way of screwing up any positive play they ever have. It's unbelievable how, how often that happens. Oh, yeah. o- over the last two weeks, if you're a Bucks fan watching this, you were celebrating a Mike Evans 65-yard touchdown negated by a holding. Yep. Uh, Brock Purdy interception at the end of the half that was like, okay, they're going to come back against the Niners. Nope, negated. Mm-hmm. And then this play, um, Burrow's fantastic, by the way, but this was one. This was a terrible play. Sure. This was a horrendous play. Um, it was fourth down. He's trying to make something happen. As much, we always talk about Mahomes and Allen and all these guys who create. This was, and, and Burrow creates yeah. as a scrambler a lot. This was one of those, I'm, I'm actually surprised I don't see this more often. Quarterback tries to do right. way too much, loses about 26 yards, flag negated. And um, you're right, that was, those are absolute turning points. It was at one point in the game, which I think this should be like stamped on the tombstone of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers 2022, but they made some, like another just grind of a disaster play on offense. And Jim Nance comments, that was a lot of work for an incompletion. Yeah, that's that's Tampa Bay's offense in a nutshell, right there. Like a lot of work for an incompletion. That was the gauge play. Yeah, Brady was like, thought he might get sacked. He breaks out of it, throws it up. Gauge dropped it. Right. Um, from a Bengals perspective, uh, the the other thing too, like the fine line between these games, the um, the Bengals had a few third, like key third down conversions where Burrow's outside the numbers accuracy and or his his connections with Jamar Chase just unbelievable like they there are some pinpoint passes that just barely get in there to move the chains and that and that was how that was like the championship level football that the Bengals started playing right so as as a championship caliber team it's not about did you fall down fall behind 17 to nothing because they did and they were they were bad early on Cincinnati they couldn't sustain offense they had a bad uh, unlucky interception and they couldn't stop the Bucks but when you're down and you're able to come back and then make those plays, those precision third down conversions, and just and then the, you know the Bucks made the decision once again, like they did a couple weeks ago. You're down two scores, about under eight minutes left, and they punted it, and it worked for the Bucks two weeks ago against the Saints, but in this one, the Bengals put together about a five minute drive to essentially seal the deal. Right, you keep keep the chains moving, keep converting first downs, and doing just enough to to run the clock out. It was your four minute offense took seven minutes. Right, that was incredible too. So I thought the Bengals did a great job there. Burrow's stat line won't be spectacular because they didn't have a full field to work with most of the time. 5.1 yards per attempt, but four touchdowns. His Tyler Boyd touchdown. Again, a lot of the touchdown, a lot of the passes that Burrow threw just really accurate where they needed to be. So I thought the Bengals did a great job. Um, Lou Anarumo, too. Man, so good in the second half. That, that, those second half adjustments that the Bengals' defense tends to make just got to give them credit there. A really good game by Carlton Davis as well, going one-on-one with Jamar Chase for most of the game. Yeah. Uh, held up very well. Made a like, three, forcing completion, something like that. He had a really good game. He was he was engulfing Chase a yeah. lot of the time. He got I think he got beat once late. Was that him? He kind of ripped uh, ripped Chase's face mask and got away with it on one. But He's there was, one of those guys with – He pass breakups in there. Like we talked about, um, you know, number one corners in the NFL. They're like the best corners in the league in the daily a few days ago. Davis is one of those guys where his high-end play is in that stratosphere. When he puts it all together for a game, 
he can have that kind of performance. It just doesn't happen as often. Yeah, I mean that's that's all you can ask for at corner, right? So, um, so the Bucks fall to six and eight, um, still very much in in charge of the division because the the Panthers lost. Um, so the Bucks control their own destiny and still their most likely team to host a playoff game for the NFC South. Bengals move to ten and four. They're a game back of the Bills and the Chiefs for that number one seed. But here's the deal: if the Bengals win out, the Chiefs just have to lose. The Chiefs would have to lose one game. And the Bengals could be the number one seed, get the bye in the AFC. Because uh, the, the Bengals have the tiebreaker over the Chiefs, but the Chiefs do have a better record at the moment at 11-3. and three. But if the Bengals win out, they would have a win over the Bills, have that tiebreaker. So there's still a chance that Cincinnati could get the number one seed. They just need Kansas City to lose at one point. So they're probably upset that the Texans teased them yesterday as mm. well. But I was impressed by the Bengals' ability to bounce back there, yeah? Yeah, I mean, 17 17- nothing hole and you end up with a pretty comfortable win is impressive all right we'll talk about some other football games here los angeles chargers 17 tennessee titans 14 this game had some scoring early on hit a little bit of a lull and then exciting again at the end ryan Tannehill injured early came back from his ankle injury justin herbert with an incredible herbert like throw he had a couple of them in this game yeah but the one in particular that gets the uh, Chargers in the field goal range for the game winner, 17-14. to 14. Huge win for the Chargers, who moved to 8-6, and six, and the Titans might see that NFC South just slowly slipping away right now. Yeah, Herbert had a couple of games, a couple of throws in this game where, and he does this every game, like there's a couple of plays in there where like tr- the trajectory and velocity and the arc of his throw is just different to pretty much any other quarterback in the league. Maybe Josh Allen is the only other guy that threads them in with quite this combination of just absurd physics. Um, his problem is he just doesn't do it as often as everybody else or as the other guys. Um, but he's capable of absurd things, and a couple of them were big plays in this game. The most amazing play, though, in this game was Roger McCreary's toss-back interception. So this first first game in a long time where Herbert has thrown multiple interceptions, usually the most, the most uh, careful quarterback in the nfl yeah that play was sick puts one in the into the end zone like right in the corner mccreary goes to catch it was like a rugby play he to keep it in bounds he's going out of bounds he knows there's no chance he's going to get his feet down goes into the air catches it and then in midair just tosses it gently back into the end zone where the safety is coming over and is able to catch it get two feet in bounds dot him down before he runs out of bounds himself like just an incredible heads-up play by a rookie. Roger McCreary is a rookie corner and had the heads-up sense to make that kind of play. Like, you see that a lot in rugby where these guys have to try and keep the ball from going out of bounds. So they leap over the line, rugby tinker. toss it back. But that's like, it's standard, relatively standard in rugby. Like, it's part of the game that happens all the time. I know. This, like, it's been years since somebody's tried one of these. I'm a rugby expert. I'll know. Mm, I'll course. know soon. Are we, is that one of the things I'm going to practice? Maybe. We'll see. Uh, McCreary, you mentioned Carlton Davis's high end. McCreary's not the same guy because he's not as big or you know, both at Auburn. But um, no, I'm sorry. Forget it. I'm thinking of. Yeah, yeah. Auburn. Mm-hmm. Different type of player. But remember, McCreary would have those games where he'd go head to head with Traylon Burks and do all these. Like he was feisty yesterday. This was best best game of McCreary's career yesterday played tough um he was close on a bunch of stuff so 
yeah, it was a good it was a good little back and forth game. I thought um, Nasir Adderley had a nice interception. Remember when he came out, he had like two or three incredible plays as a free safety. Haven't always seen that for the Chargers. He showed off those skills on a Tannehill interception. But um, game's going back and forth here, and Herbert rolls out, hits the big pass up the sideline. And that was another one where there's nothing there, right? Like that's the that's kind of the uh, the theme here when you talk about. The term system quarterback is overused and overrated, right? And then the people who push back on it push back the wrong way. They're like, What's, what do you mean system? Every quarterback runs a system. But it's like, all right, let's get to the meaning of what people are saying. There are some quarterbacks who can only succeed when you scheme it up for them, right? For the most part, right? Hit the open throws. And when things aren't there, they're going to struggle. You like to call them paint-by-numbers quarterbacks, Sam. Mm-hmm. Paint-by-numbers. Here's a seven, color it this color. Um, Herbert, on this play, there was nothing there. And he created something that wasn't there. He was a creator. That was the thing that we're talking about that Mahomes and Allen and Burrow and Herbert and Lamar and so many of these quarterbacks have right now in today's NFL. That it's not just the scheme. And then when you do pair them with a great scheme, then you see just ridiculousness, right? But and Herbert hasn't been paired with a great scheme just yet, I don't think. So that's why a lot of people are talking about, like, there's so much hyperbole in Justin Herbert evaluations. Best young quarterback we've ever seen. Or he's overrated, he's underrated, he's all these different things. But this play, on the run, laser beam, to get them into field goal range was the difference in the game. And you can't always do that with, um, with the quote-unquote system quarterback. And I thought that was, that was huge. Yep. Do you have anything else? No, we really don't have time to have anything else for this game. We're not talking about the other games that much. We're, we're not talking about any of the other games. We've got a lot of them to get through. All right, what else do you want to talk about? Uh, Give me a game. Philadelphia, Chicago. 25-20. Eagles win. Move to 13-1. and one. One, one step closer to that number one seed. Yep. Eagles, I guess, took care of business. Um, God, Justin Fields just remains freakish, though. Yeah. You mentioned earlier, like, the chalkboard plays, right? Yeah. Fields is another one right now. Yeah. When there were multiple plays where he just kept it while the guy he you would normally read was there waiting for him, and he just outran him to the corner for 9 or 11 or 13 or whatever it was. It doesn't work every time, but there are plays where Fields just breaks the chalkboard defense. A lot of them. Like, he's, gonna, he's going to break Lamar Jackson's single-season rushing record for a quarterback. And he's um, missed time. Yeah, and at no point did anybody think when they were coming out of the draft that those are similar players. Like Justin Fields was not thought to be in the Lamar Jackson camp of super freak when it comes to rushing ability, rushing threat, and he's about to shatter Lamar Jackson's all-time single-season rushing record for a quarterback. It's insane. He had, a, he had a play in this game where he almost scored an absurd touchdown but stepped just out of bounds at, like, the five-yard line or whatever. Like, his performance is, was just so insane um, from that rushing standpoint. And, and, like, he makes a play, and then Vellis Jones fumbles a ball, and the com- even the commentary was like, that's the Chicago Bears right now is – Justin Fields makes a few freaky things happen. Somebody else gets a chance, makes a mess of it. Like, that's Chicago right now. 
such a fascinating box score when you look at both teams because um, I tweeted out a few weeks back the teams uh, the quarterbacks who had had the most carries in a game this year and it was all Hurts and Fields and, and there was so many games where both of them had 15 to 20 carries in a game that was this one right Hurts had 17 Fields had 15 there's there's no other teams in the NFL besides the Ravens who rely on their quarterbacks as runners now as much as the Eagles and the Bears and it just it it does change the game a little bit. Hertz had three touchdowns in here, right? And the whole QB sneak game. And and then it's like you take away the double cheek push and we just go B gap or C gap, right? That little cat and mouse game at the, at, you know, at the line of scrimmage, I think you oversimplify it sometimes where it's just like, hey, we found the cheat code. It's, it's QB sneaks. But there is a skill and art to QB sneaks. And the Eagles have done that and then expanded off of it. And look, they're 13 and one for – for many reasons, and I reiterate it here every week, they're they're 13 and one because they're good at a lot of different things. And if one thing fails, something else will pick them up. And in this particular game, it was a combination of two receivers. It was all AJ Brown and Devontae Smith. They had all but let's see, 21. Why did Miles Sanders get negative 13 receiving yards? They had all but eight of the of the Eagles receiving yards, right? So they like over 300 between the two of them and the whole deal. It was the two receivers and then the short yardage running game with led by Jalen Hurts, right? Pass rush is still good and all that stuff, but the Eagles have just so many ways to beat you that even in a game where it's like, hey, they should they should be dominating the Bears, you still have to find a way to win, right? You have the Chiefs and the Texans going to overtime. You have crazy stuff that happens. The Eagles always find a way to win, and this week it was uh, – the other thing, too, I just want to say, Hurts having the two interceptions, mm. one of them maybe not his fault, but – he bounced back really, really well. I think just hurts mental toughness in this one. Cold game, didn't go well early, and he starts dropping in incredible deep balls to A.J. Brown, and he just kept bouncing back from what looked like a rough game. I thought that was really impressive, too. Another championship-caliber type of game for the Eagles finding a way to win. Yeah, I mean, they look good again. Um, the late score by Chicago kind of undid what was, a, I think, a more comfortable win than that. Maybe. Plus the cover, yeah, that too. Um, again, like why did I? Why did I just pick the opposite of what you do? Why would I ever agree with you? Um, poor uh, Tevin Jenkins gets carted off after like four snaps for Chicago. Doesn't sound like it's as bad as it looked at the time, um, but that was a big blow to Chicago's offensive line that's been vastly improved over the course of the season. They still held up okay. Cody Whitehair got destroyed a little bit. Alex Leatherwood came in at times at right tackle. Gave up like basically a pressure every other snap, pass blocking. The, yeah, the idea, Eagles, the Eagles sacked field six times. Hassan Reddick had an incredible game, um, but the the idea that look Alex Leatherwood as a reclamation project kicked the tires. Hey, this team cast him off after a very short period of time. Let's have a look. Perfect sense. Based off this very small amount of evidence, doesn't appear like it's improved any yeah. I, one iota. I think that guy is just a disaster. So Philly. Far. For whatever reason, Cody Whitehair, the left side of the Bears line could not handle Javon Hargrave. Well, Philly's stunts, really, too. Hargrave and whoever else was looping around just kept – those were two or three of their sacks came on that. Another one came on a screen. One was on the tight end um, for the, from a Bears perspective. But um, the, Eagles, the Eagles' pass rush is relentless, and they did a great job there yesterday. So um, another story of, like, Fields in a game that the Bears probably shouldn't be in. Fields kind of keep them in it, keeping them in it. Like he's not perfect, but 
the potential's through the roof, man. Like when we joked about Dan Orlovsky saying Justin Fields is the most valuable player in the NFL, like I could see that in the future, right? Because Fields was a more polished passer than he's showing than he's shown this season. Well, yeah. So he has this passing ability that he hasn't necessarily tapped into, and then he's as effective as Lamar Jackson as a runner. That but was unexpected. It's also like remember who he's throwing to now. Yeah. Like that's the thing. So right now we've seen this incredible growth in Justin Fields as an athlete, as a threat, as just a weapon, as the as the offense. Um, but he's still throwing to Cole Komet, Dante Pettis, you know, guys like, that have no business being high-end receivers. As soon as you get him a couple of those, think what that can do. Yes. I mean, even so – like Devontae Smith would be the best receiver on the Bears roster by a mile. And it wasn't until the Eagles got A.J. Brown that we started to see this giant leap forward in Jalen Hurts. Like, so Fields is like two giant steps behind that. So, of course, he's not going to look like the best passer in the NFL or even a particularly great passer because the guy has nobody to work with. And that doesn't just manifest in like what they do when the ball arrives. It changes the picture you're looking at. So you can't just say, well, if you had better receivers, they'd be making more plays at the end of it, making him look better. No, like the fact that he doesn't have any receivers that are any good, it changes everything he's doing from a passing standpoint. Yeah, they'd be open. Right, exactly. Like it affects what he's looking at, which affects the decisions he's making. It changes the entire dynamic of Justin Fields as a quarterback. So the fact that we've seen he's this good already with effectively no viable receivers it really does sort of – it just raises the prospect of what he can become if they actually find him some help. The 3-11 and 11 Bears, they could be the Lions or Jaguars next year. Yeah. Competing for a playoff spot at this point if they, if they make the right offseason moves. I'm looking forward to seeing what the Bears do this offseason. All right, let's jump to Sunday night football because that was a meaningful game at least, and then we'll fly through the rest. Giants 20, Washington 12. A little bit of controversy at the end of this one with some officiating stuff and everything yeah do you like it or no i just i don't care yeah like at the point where taylor heineke threw the ball to a cornerback who dropped it in the end zone i'm like you know what at the end like i don't care anymore if he gets screwed because he's already been bailed out by more luck than you could imagine in that play so anything that offsets that just puts you back to even you know I just, I, you even, just you were looking at it from an evaluation perspective though. no not even that just you from are. a justice standpoint no it's not justice it the is Giants justice dropped it he threw it at a cornerback at that point he listen, no longer deserves to win the game it's not him though it's it's both teams listen i am with you in like we think of this from like a grading perspective and a pff perspective and all that stuff through that perspective this was the most t- taylor heineke game ever right yeah. he puts the ball on the ground Makes a couple big throws to get them back into it. Threw a great ball up the seam or up the sideline to get into it. Nice little touchdown to Jahan Dotson early on. And then when they're getting into – it felt like they were just – Heineke was going to get bailed out, right? He throws the ball to the corner. You're right. Like, that's a terrible play in our Taylor Heineke evaluation. But in the grand scheme of, like, the football game, the Giants should have just caught it and it would have been over. But they didn't, and it did feel like the commanders were going to, you know, very Heineke would be the – get the touchdown, the two-point conversion, go to overtime again. But instead, Terry McLaurin didn't line up on the line of scrimmage. Maybe. Maybe. Well, he definitely was too far back. Yeah. But he checked in twice. Yes. With the ref. And the ref didn't do anything. Well, no, the ref did things. So that's the thing. Like, he goes out, and when you go out and you line up, 
you, you either kind of point to the line or you point back to say you're off the line and you look to the guy on the side who uh, tells you effectively, yeah, no, you're on or no, you got to move up. So when he, he looks, he checks in with that guy twice and the guy has given him some kind of hand signal, but it's difficult to see what it is or what he's telling him. So maybe that guy is telling him, you're not on the line. Could have been talking to someone else too. No, he, I think he was pretty clear he was talking to, to uh, McLaren. But he could have been saying, you're not on, you need to move up. Keep, you know, keep coming, you're still off. On the other hand, he could easily have been saying, you're good, and then throwing the flag on him anyway. That feels less likely, but whatever. Anyway, my point being, I don't care about the Heineke evaluation. At the stage where you, um, at the stage where you throw the ball to a cornerback in the end zone, your team deserves to lose the game. So the fact that it then happened a few plays later when the officials either didn't give you a call or not, who cares? You, lo- you should have lost already. It should have been over. The fact that they didn't catch the ball that was in his hands, you just got lucky. So now you got unlucky. It offsets to a wash. That's my point. All right. Uh, the Ernie Adams of football, Ben Stockwell. Ernie Adams is of football, but our Ernie Adams. You know, a little behind-the-scenes football genius, Ben Stockwell, says the, uh, the ref signaled for McLaurin to move up, and then McLaurin just looked away. I mean, it looked like he shuffled forwards. I think he shuffled forward twice, didn't he? But not far enough. Yeah. I mean, he was like a good yard behind the line of scrimmage. Yeah, but like those guys are always – like it's a bit iffy. Anyway, so it was 22-12 uh, at the time. Commanders obviously needed to score a touchdown and get the extra point. Heineke's final throw was knocked away, incomplete. The one thing I would say, if you're Taylor Heineke and you've got one last desperation play from like whatever it was, the 15 – I would scramble up, not backwards. Like the further he gets, remember, you know how Josh Allen kind of like plays Madden, right? By the way, we've just compared every quarterback to Josh Allen in the show. So let's keep it going. Josh Allen can kind of like retreat and then has the velocity to kind of make up for the distance. Heineke was trying to do that. He gets the pass there, but it gets easy pass breakup. He needed to get closer to the line of scrimmage, make the throw shorter, not longer on the final play. Um, Other story of this game, Saquon Barkley runs well, Giants... You know, ran the ball pretty well up front. And uh, Kayvon Thibodeau with a huge game yeah. for the Giants. He had a strip sack, recovery, touchdown. That was the difference in the game for the Giants. Neither offense really did well outside of a couple plays here and there. But it was Thibodeau making that play to get the Giants on the board early on that was uh, ended up being the game changer. Yeah, it was. Thibodeau had a great game. Um, he's really kind of come on as the season's gone on. And certainly – the longer the draft process went, the more there seemed to be a giant distance in a lot of people's minds between Kayvon Thibodeau and the other two guys, Aiden Hutchinson and Trayvon Walker at the top of the draft. You don't have to go back that far before Thibodeau was seen as the number one, like the guy, the, the guy that was going to go number one in the draft, the, the presumptive number one overall pick. I mean, last and year for some time. reason, people just decided, eh. Not anymore. Last year at this time, Kayvon Thibodeau... Was the number one pick. Was the expected number one pick. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, Aiden Hutchinson did have a higher PFF grade. The uh, the Michigan was going to the college football playoff. But at this time last year, it was it was Thibodeau's spot to lose. Yeah. Now, it wasn't locked in. I said this a million times during draft season. It wasn't as locked in as a Bosa or a Miles Garrett or a Chase Young. That's why there was debate and there was movement. But at this point last year, Kayvon Thibodeau was the number one overall pick. It's not like he fell that far. He ends up going number five overall, but he was the third edge defender off the board. Trayvon Walker at one, Aiden Hutchinson at two, and uh, Kayvon Thibodeau at five. I don't think there's, by the way, 
Aiden Hutchinson's playing just as well as Kayvon Thibodeau right now this season. They've both been a tick better than Trayvon Walker, right? There's no definitive winner among that trio, the first three edges coming off the board. But at the moment, Thibodeau, I think, probably is the slightly better grade above Hutchinson um, and Walker well below that. It's not this complete revisionist history, but Thibodeau did go from he was going to be the number one pick to could he fall out of the top 10? How far is he going to fall? The Giants grabbed him at five. And we mentioned on draft night, the Giants were probably thrilled that they got him and Evan Neal, oh, yeah. two guys who at one point were presumptive number one overall picks, or at least in the conversation. And last night kind of showed it with the Giants, what they were getting with Thibodeau. Yep. Um, Saquon Barkley had a, a really good game, took over sort of in the fourth quarter when the Giants had like six minutes, six and a half minutes left, needed to try and chew some clock. And then Saquon just like hit a hole, then hit a spin move and was picking up like 10 yards every time he touched the ball. That was really impressive. Um, Jahan Dotson had a great game who hadn't had one for a while. Like, remember, he started the season looking amazing and then got injured, cooled off, became a much smaller part of the game plan. Had a really big game in this one, including the kind of signature play that he makes. Like, he's so good at the catch point. Again, for a guy that's not big, you know, there's this group of guys that are good at the catch point and it makes sense. Like, George Pickens being really good at the catch point makes a lot of sense, right? The guy's huge. Yeah great hands like he's got the frame for somebody that should be amazing at the catch point and then you got people like Jahan Dotson who are like 5'11 and 180 pounds which makes less sense that he's amazing at the catch point but he is like he got that deep uh pass incredible play by him when you see the replay of that again it shows you how freaky small the margins are for like good play versus disaster when you're a cornerback which is why it's such a volatile position. Like, I forget who the corner was. Was it Pinnock on that play? Yes. Who's got, like, he's blanketed Jahan Dotson. He's got, he's all over him. He's looking for the ball. He sees it arrive. He's turned. He's trying to get it. And he swipes at it with his left hand. And it somehow doesn't connect. Like, the margin for him not hitting that ball must have been an inch or two. Yeah. And not hitting it enables it to get through to Dotson, who's maneuvered himself to be able to catch the ball as it comes through. But like an inch the other way, and Pinnock knocks that away, pass breakup, great play, like awesome coverage. And just like not quite kidding it, it goes from like great play to you just gave up a bomb. And that's why I thought it was like the most Heineke game ever, right? Um, The turning point in the game, by the way, is Heineke fumbling um, on – uh, on a drive that on a sack on their on a sack where a late review showed it but it looked like Washington was going to drive and take the lead early on or earlier in the game but then Heineke leads the comeback with this jump ball to Dotson for a 61 yarder basically a jump ball where Dotson does the work right then throws one to a corner that gets dropped but you know it didn't end up happening at the end um, good job by the Giants man they are they're holding on to dear life in the uh, NFC playoff picture so the Giants are the number six seed. Washington still is the number seven seed at seven, six, and one, as I've mentioned. But uh, we'll see what happens down the stretch here in the NFC. Lions are coming quick, man, at seven and seven. Don't forget to check out the PFF app, all of Sam's great writing, all of our betting, fantasy advice, lots of good stuff. Better picks than I have. I know that. So go check out, download the PFF app right now. All right, Sam, there's three games to get to. We got five, 15 minutes. Okay. I don't have much to say about a bunch of them. Oh, right? by the way, one less, last thing. These are less last, relevant games. One last thing in this last game, just to really extend. Why the hell is Fabian Moreau shadowing Terry McLaurin? 
It's happened twice now. I don't know, man. I mean, that's, I, I understand you're kind of depleted in the secondary. It still doesn't feel like a great matchup. Would you not, like, you know, try and take it away some other way <laughs> schematically? Like, hey, well, Fabian, we want to wait to play cover, zone. Go cover Terry McLaurin one on one all the time. Wait to play zone. I, anything. No. Bracket coverage. We just something play. other than. We ain't playing no zone here, man. We're getting after it. All right, let's go. Um, Pittsburgh twenty-four, Carolina sixteen. Steelers are six and eight now. Panthers fall to five and nine. Um, would have been tied atop the uh, NFC South. Yeah, if they could have pulled this off. They're picking number eight in at number eight in the draft right now, and they're a game out of first place in, yeah. the, in the division. They still control their own destiny. Yes, ish. They win out. Yes, if they win out, they they hit the playoffs. They would be the team. Um, Good win by the Steelers, man. They had a 21-play drive in there, ran right. the ball pretty effectively, and Trubisky he, played pretty well. The team that leads the NFL in drives of 10 or more plays outdid themselves with a 21-play 90-something yard Does drive. Does that count for two? No. Should count as two. Um, but, yeah, the Steelers' run game. It wasn't – you know, it was kind of like uh, – it was the run game that got Jerome Bettis into the Hall of Fame. You know, 3.6 yards per carry. Well, it would be as a running back. Touchdown. What? It would be as a running back. I mean, he's not going to get into it for anything else. Yeah, I'm just saying. That was that was like old-school Steelers football. This is like what the, the Steelers fans want. They want 24 carries for 86 yards from like, Najee Harris and 11 for 38 from Jalen Warren. That's what they want. So Najee Harris had a good game, right? He, like he busted through 10 tackles, stiff arms a guy to hell on the way yeah. for a touchdown. Like, Remember, we're a couple of weeks away from the entirety of Pittsburgh being like, Najee Harris sucks, bench him. Like, okay, look. He's why, had two of his better games running right, in the last couple weeks. Why are you completely unable to understand the dynamics of how this works, right? You had a terrible run game because you had no offensive line. Drafting Najee Harris in the first round wasn't ever going to fix that. It didn't fix it. The run game was still bad because you still had no offensive line. Then you're like, well, Najee Harris actually looks really good, but it's somehow not working. And now he doesn't look good. Bench him. Like, it's still the same problem. The problem is you have no run blocking. Uh, Najee Harris is a good running back, and sometimes that's going to work. It's going to be enough. Sometimes it isn't. It's not the issue. The fundamental underlying problem here is that your offensive line does not run black particularly well. And yet the, every, the entire focus is always on Najee Harris. Yeah, he's good. He's good he player. is. He's good. He had a good game. They had a long carry of 10 with him. You know, it's, it's, it's fine. Right. 86 yards, 73 of which came after contact. Trubisk hit George Pickens for a 38-yarder, another one where Pickens just plucks it out of the air. That was kind of jump ballish, too, where he's just winded, man. It wasn't even jump. It was like just stick your hands directly up above your head and pluck it out of the sky. Throw perspective, it was a a 50-50 ball. Um, The Panthers couldn't get anything going on the ground. They finished with 16 carries for 21 yards. Steelers were awesome up front. Um, And then Sam Darnold, a nice touchdown on a scramble to DJ Moore. For me, the difference in this game, though, a couple third down plays – in the red zone by the Panthers where they ended up having to settle for field goals. They ran a third and eight draw or third and goal from the eight draw to Darnold. I don't know if that was a read from Darnold. You get that a lot where you run a, an actual pass concept. And if you get the right look up front, you're just going to run up the middle. Um, I don't recommend it on third and goal from the eight and it didn't work. Um, and then there was another third down play where Darnold scrambled around forever, took a sack. Uh, but to me, that was the difference in the game. You know, Steelers controlling the ball, but the Panthers had their opportunities and had to settle for field goals. Neither team is probably going to make the playoffs. Any other takeaways on this one? Steelers got up 21-7 to and held on. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, like neither one of these teams is tremendously good, and the Steelers are slightly better, not tremendously good team than the other. Mike Tomlin keeps the nine and eight season. Dude, if he comes out of this season without a losing season it's, again, there's potential. It, it is crazy. There is potential there. All right, that's all I have on that. I'm sorry. I mean, like, a, listen to the other stuff. There's more exciting things that happen <laughs> around the, the around stuff. the NFL. There was a, some story here in the Atlanta New Orleans game. Desmond Ritter's first uh, first start. Saints win 21 to 18. Um, they're all five and nine now, right? Everybody. Saints, Falcons, and Panthers are all five and nine. Not nearly as good as the powerhouse Bucks at six and eight. Commanding one game lead. Um, Saints win. Created some big plays early on. Another smooth game for Andy Dalton. Big plays from Taysom Hill. Um, you say the guy's name that had the touchdown. Right. Uh, what the hell is his name? Rashid Shahid. You said Scott Hansen was struggling with it a little bit. Well, his name, it's like a speed bump. You can't, I don't think, say it quickly the way you say everything else. You ha- like Every time Scott Hansen mentions his name Rashid on Red Shahid. Zone... He like he slows down, you know, as if it's I gotta consciously say this and not screw it up. The big touchdown to Rashid Shahid. My guy, my red zone guy, Andrew Siciliano. He doesn't have any issues. Sicily. I'm just saying it's a weirdly seems to be a difficult name to just smooth on. You know, you can't just Andy Dalton that thing. You gotta you gotta be careful. You gotta pick your pick your steps. Pretty impressive that the the Saints have been able to uncover another big play uh, receiver like Shahid, um, like they did with uh, Deontay Hardy. Hardy. Mm. What was he before? Harris. Deontay, oh, yeah, Deontay Harris, right. But, like, they, this is, like, my favorite thing in the world, right? That number four receiver that's this deep, you know, legitimate deep ball threat that's going to create a 68-yard touchdown once every couple of weeks for you. The Saints also seem to be bizarrely good at uncovering uh, one-dimensional deep threat receivers. Like for years, like Devery Henderson, oh, Robert Devery. Meacham, yeah. Deontay Hardy Harris, like they seem to find these guys that can only really do the deep threat thing, but they get them all the time. Like Ted Ginn, they always get it. it doesn't matter where they get them from. Like Meacham, wasn't he a first or a second round pick? Uh, Ginn was like a failed, you know, first round pick. They, they, they just find these guys from anywhere and always have that designated deep threat. The, yeah, it, it is impressive. The, the Falcons' run game kept them in it. Uh, Tyler Algier had 139. Cordero Patterson had 52 yards. Desmond Ritter, um, per my prediction, I didn't get much right other than he's not going to be a part of the design run game all that much. There was only one design run there. He did have 38 yards on the ground, mostly through scrambles. Um, Ritter had some issues, some ups and downs, some really bad passes in there, some on-time effective ones. Drake London was getting open over the middle on in-breakers quite a bit. Um, but as the as the Falcons, you know, they were down what twenty one to ten. They did get within three. Drake London fumble just outside of two minutes, and that was pretty much it. Yeah. So this was a tough game, I think, for Ritter because very quickly the game script got out of control. Like the Saints scored seven nothing. Like immediately, there the Ritter's at a third and nine on the next drive. Then they're up 14 nothing. So all of a sudden you're like, okay, the most run-heavy offense in the NFL with a new quarterback, a rookie quarterback, is all of a sudden facing a game script situation where you're two scores down and needing to kind of chase it. That's pretty rough. Um, I they, did Also, I did go through the film um, pretty quickly. There was a lot – the Saints defense, I always describe them as championship caliber. 
they played good tight man coverage. There was not a ton of open windows. Like Drake yeah. London, outside of Drake London, who, again, in breakers over and over and over again, did a great job on those plays, on those routes. There was not a lot there for Ritter. Right. A lot and of tight man coverage. So they kept talking about on the broadcast that, like, no matter, no matter the situation, because they, they put him in this ugly situation, they didn't go, like, pass heavy and completely change the offense. They kept running the ball. And, like, guys like Algier were making plays. And they kept talking about, like, well, this is the faith they have in Tyler Algier to pick up these, like, third and nine or whatever. It's like, okay, the other way of looking at that is this is the lack of faith they have in Desmond Ritter <laughs> right. to, even, to even attempt to pass in this situation. Like, you know, that cuts both ways. Now, that being said, late in the game, two minutes, got to have it fourth down. Ritter completes a pass to London, who then fumbles it away. Like, right. He did make a couple of plays. I do think it's a little bit concerning – that they went away from what from the quarterback as part of the run game so hard to the point where they brought in like Felipe Franks to run a you know to do that on a on a play and it didn't work. I, I again I I understand that that Desmond Ritter is not Marcus Mariota, but I think he's close enough that you don't have to junk that stuff from the game plan because it's a pretty important part of what you've been doing. I told you they want to develop. I, I know the I know the division is winnable for all these teams still except maybe the Saints, but the Falcons want to see what Ritter can do as a passer. Develop yeah. him as a passer. I also think that Plus point. his skill set, like he was getting rid of the ball quickly and doing, <laughs> he was doing a nice job as far as like making the right throws. He was just off from an accuracy standpoint on a bunch. And yeah. like I, also, I said, there were not, not a ton of uh, open windows there. I still think the point that you made is absurd and that doing that does not diminish anything he could do as a passer. Um, are they, why can't the Falcons stop Taysom Hill? Like Taysom Hill's half of his career is built off just eviscerating the Atlanta Falcons defense. It's like Derrick Henry in division games. Yeah. Derrick Henry against the Jags and the Texans. I don't know. I don't and have an answer for that. Andy Dalton to uh, Juwan Johnson was cooking in the game as well. Yes. Juwan Johnson's legit. Another. Um, this is why the Saints don't make any sense, right? Like if you said, hey, in this season where you don't really have a tight end – and you have a good-looking receiving core, and we're going to add this incredible deep deep threat to you in Shahid. And Jawan Johnson's actually going to be one of the um, sneaky best receiving tight ends in the NFL this year. Wouldn't you think the Saints would be good? I mean, with if, the other pieces that they have, the fact that their defense is is solid, and Dalton's playing well, and Kamara's back, like none of it makes sense. Forget everything else. If you just told somebody at the end of the like before this season, if you just said the Saints are going to get Andy Dalton for basically the whole year. And he's going to have an 85 passing grade. You're like, oh, the Saints are going to the Super Bowl. Like they're a they're a legit playoff contender at that point. And Andy Dalton's playing really well week after week after week, and they're not. Everybody else is kind of letting them down. At least mostly. I mean, this this was uh, an indication of the games where they actually do show up more. All right. I think that's all. Still, that's not a bad game, by the way, Andy Dalton. Like however many games that is this year, just. Time after time after time, just 70-plus every week. It's kind of insane. The uh, Dalton coaster has become just a country road, huh? It's just like a flat – it's like a monorail. It's just Wy a slow – Wyoming. Slow glide across a perfectly smooth surface. Denver Broncos 24, Arizona Cardinals 15. Hmm. I don't want to lie to our audience. Okay. I didn't watch much of this game. <laughs> Uh, I purposely didn't. So the game starts off as 
Colt McCoy versus Brett Rippon and becomes Trace McSorley against Brett, Brett Rippon. Yeah, Colt McCoy left with a concussion. Um, he had a bad interception in there. McSorley picked off twice. Brett Rippon got sacked seven times by the Cardinals' defense. It was just ugly all around. But um, Denver got their running game going. Latavius Murray ran extremely well. And uh, Broncos got the win to move to 4-10. and 10. Yeah. So this was, so you look at this and you're like, okay, two teams, both without their quarterback, both desperately struggling on offense. They're generally bad. The, Falcon, or the Cardinals now join the Broncos as being eliminated this season. They'll be with Wednesday autopsy for the Cardinals season. Um, but what happened in this game is when you sort of, okay, the offense on both sides sucks. You're down quarterbacks. You have nothing going for you. Well, now all of a sudden defense matters more. And Denver has really good defense, as we've seen so far this season. So early in the game, uh, Arizona's defense was showing up. J.J. Uh, Watt was making a few plays. Um, but as the game wore on, like the Denver defense is just better. So they just cause significantly more problems for Arizona's offense. And J.J. Watt on his own, and Watt had a really good game, probably his best game for a long time, uh, wasn't enough. Like the Cardinals' defense just isn't as good, and therefore Denver's was able to get it done. That's basically it. Like the, in a game of bad teams with terrible offense, the team with the best defense won. Yeah, in a game, in, in, in a weekend, with the best comeback in NFL history and – the Raiders-Patriots debacle, depending on which side you're on, all that stuff. Denver won 24-15. That's my recap. Yeah, I mean, so like, this is – today's NFL is that um, defense is great, but it's not it, – like it just doesn't matter if your offense stinks. Like the Denver Broncos are proof perfect of that this season. If your defense, as amazing as it is, if your offense isn't capable of scoring, you're not going to win games anymore. You can't do a 2,000 Ravens anymore. The, the league just doesn't work that way. Well, I'll say this. Going forward with the way Patrick Sertan, he had another big game, the way he's playing, and the just everything that we've seen from the Broncos' defense, you, it doesn't mean that they're going to be the best defense next year, or even top three, but they're gonna, they have the ability to play that championship-level defense, right? So that you're going into the offseason in Denver saying, we've got some incredible pieces – coming off of a really good season on that side of the ball let's fix this offense i think you can at least come into this offseason if you're denver saying figure out russ and getting him right and, and what we're going to do there and if we just if we can do that if we can figure that out they're right back in it as ugly as this four and ten season has been for the broncos they're also not that far away from being right back into contention i don't think if they could i mean depending on if russ is actually cooked or if there's there's something to salvage there I'm guessing there's something to salvage, right? We don't want to lean too much into hard stop narratives, right? Russ will never be the same again. Maybe it's true, but I feel like Denver's got something to salvage. Arizona, and for me, there's just not a lot of takeaways generally from this game, which is why I'm half joking, like it doesn't matter. It's not a lot of takeaways, right? Like Arizona season's done, Denver season's done. We'll do the autopsy on Wednesday for Arizona. Mm -hmm. All right, that's it, 9.30. That's every game, right? Did I miss anything? Nailed it. Probably. I did not. No, I meant nailed it probably. Oh, nailed it probably. <clears throat> I think I meant probably like I missed a game. I mean, you could have done that as well. Like the way you're picking this year, anything's possible. <sighs> Rams Packers. Draft model's good though. Tonight. Rams Packers. Yeah, enjoy the game tonight. Baker and Aaron Rodgers and whatever else is going to happen. The chance to go, what, 3 and 3 and 12. No, 3 and 
three and thirteen. Am, I'm three and eleven at the moment. Three and eleven. Right. Uh, no, three it's, and, no, it's sixteen games. Yeah, I'm three and twelve. Yeah. Yeah. You go three and thirteen. Two thirty-one. People would kill to hit two thirty-one. I'm just imagine. Imagine if you just threw down money on the opposite of that. I have a higher. Week. I have a higher AAA batting average than that hit rate. Like I don't know what the. What would what would that what would your how many units would you be up? Just just the a most, plethora. Just the most powerful betting edge in the world today is pitting, picking against you. Whatever. And people are just let, leaving that on, on the table every week, including me, by the way. Who I like I had a pretty good week, but every time I agreed with you, I got it wrong. Yeah, but it made sense at the time, didn't it? <sighs> yeah, but problem. I should have known better. Like, I have this, the most powerful betting edge in the world, I'm sitting trying, across the table from me, and I'm just ignoring it. I'm trying to de-emphasize the focus on my picks here, and you're just bringing it back in. Well, you can instead tell people about the charity. Oh, tell them about the charity. I'm going to do some rugby drills. If we can get to $2,000, Meals on Wheels. I'm going to do, what am I doing, rugby drills? I want to do them, like, with, can I get them, like, with the, uh, the Irish team? They could come over here anytime soon? No. They don't come here? No. They're, no. they're busy in a season. Oh, that's all right. And well, I'm gonna do some Irish. Some, uh, I'm gonna do some rugby drills. But there you go. It's on. It's my pin tweet at pff underscore sam. We've already got 150 bucks raised. Thank you to everybody that's donated so far. Um, we'll also be in the description of this podcast. We yeah, raising money for a good cause. Meals on Wheels, America. And if when if when we raise the two thousand dollars, professional rugby players are gonna send us video evidence of them completing some fairly basic rugby skills. And then we're going to show you those videos and see if you can do them. I'm ready. As a former professional athlete, you would think you'd be able to have this no problem. What would be the best way to train for this? Uh, do we, I need some some level of uh, endurance, speed? No, nothing here is going to require training. like uh, stamina, just skill. Skill? Yeah. Okay. So kicking a ball. Can you kick a rugby ball? I don't know. Well, that would Maybe. be a start. What if I'm a natural? <laughs> like I was, I played pickup cricket with Neil. I was pretty good at that. Well, there you go. See, game. I mean, look, you, you can't. No, I'm not really good at kicking stuff. You can't buy the baseline of being a former professional athlete. You know, you you start off on third base here. Yeah, maybe. I'm out. <laughs> I've cashed out. Everyone else has too. It's a good show. Look at this. Wow, that's disturbing Photoshop right there. That's not Photoshop. That's real. Oh, okay. We uh, when did we do that? We reenacted it this weekend. It feels like the guy on the right needs to be somebody as well. Who can we make that into? Who would I, who would I be stiff-arming? Oh, oh stiff-arming picks. <laughs> Wins. I'm stiff-arming good yeah. picks. Yeah. We, can we make that happen, Tyler? I'm stiff-arming money. <laughs> oh, that's great. No, uh, no images of uh, Elf, please. All right. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We'll be back on Wednesday for our midweek show. See you then.